My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> and you're listening to episode 130 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! We did it. We made it. I know. Just I know. as surprised every, as you are. Every episode past 100, it's like we just finished a marathon. Like each one I'm going to be I like, know. fuck, yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> like, 130, shit, we fucking knew? nailed it. <laughs> yeah, the magic number. But that's the thing. It's like Zack Snyder movies. If every number is a magic number, are there any magic numbers? That's my question. Don't, Liam. don't don't bring up Zack Snyder till we're on the whack portion yeah, of the show, please. It was 130 minute thousands minutes of movie that I watched <laughs> at one time. That's what happened. I had a great big bushy beard by the time that movie was finished. Yeah, you had, it's like you had just woken up from a coma. It was crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't know, Liam. I've never been in a coma. Thank you. <sighs> hey, don't we have a guest, Josh? <laughs> Hey, Liam, we got a guest today. Yeah, who is it? <laughs> we have our friend, personal friend, and longtime friend of mine, associate at the very least, Mr. Bob Shedd. Hi, Bob. Hey, guys. Hello, Bob. How's he going? Welcome onto the show. Yo, Bob, people might know you from so many places. They might know you, obviously, from Axe to Grind podcast. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, the largest podcast that doesn't involve a celebrity. That's That's, that's how I feel about that. Sub well, that subcategory, the largest podcast with celebrity Bob Shed. Well, that's oh, fair. Yeah, that no, fair. I was that gonna say, fair. I was gonna say that really depends on my co-host Patrick Kinlan's celebrity status. Uh, he no does way. live in Hollywood, you know, kind of a big deal. He's been an internet. Uh, he's been an edge lord before we had a word for that. So, Long you before. Know. <laughs> I remember asking someone once when I first heard about uh, end of a year, and instead of responding about the music, they're like, "Yeah, I don't know how I feel about internet edge lords." And I was like, Ugh. "Oh, I was asking <laughs> so, about the record, but sure, yeah." <laughs> so, let me give a quick story there because it is relevant to uh, my relationship with Patrick, and we should shout out Tom, who's the real uh, the best, hero the best. of Axe to Grind. Yeah, um, but but me and Patrick have known each other for a long time. I worked at Revelation and bought a split seven inch on the recommendation of a friend and uh and it was really good and i was like oh my god this is sort of dc but it's not aping it it has kind of its own feel and this dude's got a really unique voice and more so lyrically even even then it was it, it was really advanced it was really uh had something interesting going on so i bring it to the room I, i'm like hey this is i think we should sign this band mixed reaction mostly mostly good but like okay this is cool you know like you go for it uh then it was like oh it's this guy patrick kinlan oh that guy was an asshole to one of my friends and i'm like what years later we come to find out that it wasn't him it was someone else who was in the band um but fast forward and we're talking and some people people often at that time accused accused me accused revelation of kind of forcing Patrick not to be an internet poster, <laughs> which was not true, basically. But what, what had happened was we, we talked all the time. We would talk a lot on the phone. Uh, I think there was a time where he was briefly living in a van. I don't It was a weird time for that dude. But uh, we would talk a lot, and I was helping him book some show and this and that, and I was like, yeah, you know, I keep hitting this this problem where people... 
I talk about your band and Liam, what you said rings true. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's this band end of year. They're from Albany. Wait, does that, does that guy Pat Kinlan sing in mm-hmm. that band? Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean Pat, Pat Kinlan from the bridge nine board. And he had that moment that I think a lot of people have when they are identified as blank of the insert internet thing here where he went, Oh yeah. Oh, that's not who I want to be, and that's not how I want to be known. So, yeah. um, so he moved away from that, and and I think that was smart from. He's got a lot of good. He did espouse lots of funny opinions, um, mostly good, but some bad. To be fair, uh, later on, I brought this up to another uh, person, and their response sort of showed the evolution of Pat online because they said, "Oh, I'm not on Tumblr much," and I was yeah, like, there "Oh you go. no, oh no." He's he's had wow. he's had internet phases. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Shout um, out to people without internet phases. I want to also <laughs> make sure people know. You know, it's not just axe to grind. Like as you said, you worked for Revelation. You've put out other music. You were a part of Sound and Fury. There's a whole bunch of accolades for for you, sir, that people should be aware of. I wanted to ask you though. Recently, your other podcast uh, sort of morphed into In Search of Tracks, and I wanted to ask you about that. Like uh, mostly because I haven't gotten to listen to it yet. Uh, what, what's with the what's with the name change? What's what's the new what's the new deal here? Plus, I just want people to check the podcast out. Yo, thank you for doing that. That's cool. You guys gave me the early plug. That's neat. Um, so, <laughs> me and a, a good friend Pete Hilton, who I've known for uh, well over half our lives now, which is kind of crazy. Um, and I, I think you guys probably have a similar relationship to the ship to that, where you go, "Wow, I've known you for a very long time now." Hmm. Um, <laughs> We were doing a podcast called It Came From New Jersey, where we basically highlighted different music from the state of New Jersey, which meant we could talk about Bruce Springsteen one week and the next week talk about the Feelies and talk about E-Town Concrete one week and talk about SZA the next week. And and we did a lot of underground music, but also stuff that was a little out of our comfort zone. Guys, the SZA record isn't something that I talk <laughs> about a lot. So... But it was like such a great experience because it was talking about music. And I think that's one of the things that um, people should be encouraged to do more, whether they, and, and I, I'm using music here because that's the podcast that I do with Axe to Grind and In Search of Tracks now. But it's a similar thing with Cinepunks. I, I really think people get stuck or hung up in feeling underqualified to speak about things that they might be passionate about. Right. And so often I've found that if you have a true passion for something or you really love something, if you're willing to express that and work through it and think about it yourself first, usually that helps. But people have, you know, all these different opinions, there's there's a lot of value out there. And I think um, there's a desire for that. So uh, basically the change from, it came from New Jersey to In Search of Tracks is us... um, Buying an easy pass, uh, getting our visas, uh, <laughs> and saying, "Hey, we can we can cross state lines. We can jump on a jet." Uh, maybe maybe the um, fact that COVID had us so locked into our houses, yeah, uh, pushed us mm. to go. Hey, maybe we can do more than just New Jersey. So um, I hope everybody checks it out. The first episode actually comes out. Uh, the week that we're recording this, so I don't know where that's going to fall, but uh, we we d- do the Stone Roses record, um, so wow, uh, it's a fun sick. one. It's one of Pete's favorites, yeah, and it's fun, and you know we are excited about it because we've been told, and it's something I'm sure you guys have felt with Cinepunks, but 
with Axe to Grind, with, it came from New Jersey. Hey, you guys exposed me to this thing that I hadn't checked out before, and now I love it. That's, that's like such a cool feeling, you know? Mm, yeah, for sure. That's like one of the, the, one of the main things that we at Cinepunks are always going for, I think. It's one of the like, reasons that's why we make the playlists and stuff. You uh, know what I mean? Like, I was about to say, Josh, it's one of the reasons we actually have kicked around a few different ideas about finding some sort of music podcast to be on the network because everyone involved wants to share music with each other. And if anyone's checked out one of our playlists, they know Cinepunks is us. It's me and Josh, right? We are the the punks. And yes. We've asked other people to be involved who like some of the same stuff as us. But a lot of the people involved with the site like a lot of different stuff, both music and film. And so um, part of our desire is like, what if instead of it being kind of like niche people talking to each other about niche things, we kind of open it up and talk across ways. And and we've even experienced that. Friend of the show, Adriana Gober, uh, who uh, used to do that Alpha Flight podcast with me, Bob. Yes. Uh, She's definitely more of a metal and goth person with a big sort of interest in electronic music that isn't necessarily dance music. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. But recently, just from our recommendations, she checked out Mind Force. And like hit me up to be like, yo, is there other hardcore that sounds like this? Because this rips. And I was like, uh, yeah, right. let me make you a playlist real quick. <laughs> Which yo, I mean, don't, cool. don't get me wrong. Mind Force is actually more singular than you think. Because you think, oh, they sound like all these other bands. But in reality, they kind of don't. They kind of their own thing as well. But still, I was able to make her a playlist and some of it really like connected with her. And just realizing that like she's done that for me, of course. You know, like I would have never yep. listened to Coil without her, you know. But uh, but realizing like that's true for something like hardcore too is like I didn't know that was going to be an experience. The same way that like I've noticed during the pandemic, people who maybe aren't into horror movies have decided to give horror movies a spin. I would have never predicted mm. that as a reality, but I think that's because we assume just because something isn't approachable at first or isn't obvious that people won't give it a chance, and that's not necessarily true, you know. So I don't know. Well said. No, I I, I co-sign that all the way. Um, I think your idea to do some sort of, you know, the share, some kind of thing where you guys share it across spectrums, be great. I, I, that's the hope. Honestly, I, I think that's why a lot of people try sit here and record your own voice talking about whatever it is you love because yeah. you hope someone else hears it and maybe they connect and they already love it or they hear something, whatever it is you said that makes them think, yeah, you know what? Let me give that a whirl. And that's 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 the, the dollar in the dream, you know? Speaking of yeah. talking about things that we love, Josh, what are we talking about this episode? We are talking about fun movies from the 90s. Woo! I mean, not going to lie, these, both of the movies that we watched for today's episode, as suggested by Bob, we watched Wayne's World and we watched House Party. Now, yes. both of these movies I can reenact in one-man play fashion, playing <laughs> all of the roles. <laughs> Because I've seen both of these movies so many times. And yet, in preparation for this episode, I watched them again. And you know what? Same. Still good. Still good. My goodness, what a fun time. I mean, we're going to get there. There's only one thing that happens in either of these movies that, like, severely bummed me out. 
but I will yeah, say that, I'll give you that. for Jeez. a 90s movie, that's actually pretty good. There's plenty of 90s movies that I've returned to have been like, oh, this is bad top to bottom. I was just wrong. Yeah. So it was there's nice. There's like a that- lot of stuff where it's like punching down. Yep. But I found yes. in, these, in both of these movies, there's only instances of it where that's not the entire oeuvre of, of each of the movies. Right, right, so. right, right. And I think there's going to be interesting stuff to talk about. I'll, I'll give a little bit of a teaser of that uh, before we go into ads here. Uh, Wayne's World is somehow both a 90s movie and the last gasp of the 80s at the same time. Uh, and mm. I want to talk about that because, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of hard to imagine Wayne and Garth uh, knowing what to do with themselves when Nirvana explodes and uh, makes hair metal not profitable anymore. But uh, yes, we'll get to that. Uh, in the meantime, um, I want to first say thank you uh, both to our listeners for listening. Also to our patrons. Uh, we love everyone who supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate you, uh, your support, your resources, your patience as we try to get you more stuff. <laughs> um, and and your willingness to tell other people about us. Uh, and that includes everyone who listens regularly. Um, your word of mouth is how we get known. Uh, so we really appreciate you. Uh, so you're primarily to, to, to thank for this episode. Josh, who else do we need to thank for uh, this episode today? We need to thank the beautiful people at LVAC, at the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, who are our proud sponsors, and to Chris Reject, who's the man who I love. So yeah, thanks, guys. On this podcast, we're nice to Chris Reject. On Hard Business, we're mean to him. So I will say, Chris is great. (laughs) He has an event coming up you guys should look for at Mahoning Drive-In. It's one of his wrestling and movies uh, related to wrestling. Uh, he finally took my advice and included They Live, uh, the greatest wrestling-adjacent movie there is. And so um, <laughs> you should go there. You should check it out. You should watch some fun wrestling. I'll, I'll say, you know, I don't know how many listeners we have that are into wrestling. Me and Josh are not big wrestling people. We're not, like, huge wrestling people. Um, I will say go into Chris's events. There's, like, a really fun, goofy spirit to a lot of the wrestling that happens at his events. And... Uh, and I love that. That's exactly what I want. That's like sort of the vibe for me. And it really got me excited about it where I, I really only went the first time to support Chris. And now I'm, I'm stoked on it, man. You know, and, and mm. honestly, I got to see Orange Cassidy in a small room before he premiered on, on TV for people. So that's sick. That's sick. I also got to see the guy from Every Time I Die Wrestle. That's pretty cool, too. Um, so, yeah, uh, check out. Uh, also, if you end up at the Mahoning Drive-In for this next event that Chris is putting on, it's true. there's a very strong chance you will see a couple Cinepunks with a table there. Yeah, we're working out the details mm. still, but in theory, both Cinepunks and Rough Cut Fan Club will be there. We'll be slinging shirts. We'll be hopefully recording with people. It'll be a good time. So come on out. Uh, that's in May. I think May 21st and 22nd. Uh, you should check that out. But also, look, I don't know if you have a fight club or a a grindcore <laughs> band or a D campaign. You need t-shirts, you know, you need bandanas, you need fucking koozies, sweatpants, you need to merch up the whole goddamn thing, okay? You need to go to X L V A C X dot com. Tell them Cinepunk sent you. I don't think that will get you any money off, but you should do it anyway. Just if so anything, knows they will probably him. make fun of you. Yeah, they'll probably be like, yeah. Who sent you? They'll be Never like, You listen of- to that podcast? That's not true. Chris listens to the podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they are the premier screen printers of the Lehigh Valley, possibly the world. The, the The numbers haven't come back yet, but but you know that's out there. That's a possibility. Um, we also want to thank our friends at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, look, Aaron Dahlbeck, you know him, you love him, you, you, you've seen his bands. Uh, my man was on tour. He was questing for good coffee everywhere he went, and he realized that 
good coffee is hard to find. And thus was born the idea for Exodus Coffee Roasters, a company uh, committed to getting you the freshest possible coffee. Thus, they roast it to your order, the highest quality beans, but to demystify the whole process, to be available to you to answer questions, to help you figure out how to homebrew for the best coffee you can have, and to really get you coffee that you can feel good about the price for, that you're not being gouged for some uh, for some fake, fancy bullcrap, but you're paying what makes sense for quality coffee. I will say, as soon as you said homebrew, I thought about 311, the band. Fuck. Just saying. Yeah, Chill. that happened just now in my head. That just happened in my head. I just uh, wanted to say it. I anyways, know. Essex I has know. great coffee. They have great merch. They even have <laughs> uh, lots of uh, amazing loose leaf tea for you to get as well. Um, and we're hoping very soon, and by very soon, I mean I need to get in contact with Aaron uh, and let him know <laughs> that we're going to have our own Cinepunks blend. So keep an eye out for that as well. So yeah. uh, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Yep, it's true. Krosky said it first. Thanks for reminding me, Josh. Um, <laughs> but the the thing we want you to know the most is when you go to Essex Coffee Roasters, let's say you pick up a bag of coffee, you pick up a bag of tea, you pick up a six sweatshirt. On your way out, you're going to want to put in the code CINEPUNK, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, for 10% off your order. You can't go wrong with that. You got to do it. Yeah. You got to do it. You're welcome. You're welcome. I've yeah, been that's to our gift to you. Aaron. I was trying to tell Aaron how cool we are, but he'll know when you put that in, in your, your uh, checkout there. Yeah. yeah also, this makes us look good, guys. If you order coffee, then Aaron knows that we're cool, and that's that's a win <laughs> for us. So please do that, okay? <laughs> that was so You're thirsty. Idiots. Why that do was we the have thirstiest ad yeah. we've ever done. <laughs> Such dummies. Jesus Christ. Why do people listen to us? I don't uh, know. I've asked myself many times. No. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> uh. Now so it's anyway, time. Liam. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, Josh. Now, buddy? Well, What's we have this. We what is the thing we do? We have this regular. Bob doesn't know about it, but he's going to find out in a sec. It's this regular thing that we do. It's like a. a We've done it one hundred and twenty-nine times. If you can, yo, Liam, that. I know about it. I know about it. Oh, look at him! Not, so, Bob, look at him! Look at him not, what do you think it might be called? Perhaps, if you do know about it, is it called whack <gasps> and on whack track? Let it go, track. <laughs> Josh, we did not coordinate that at all. So I had no idea that Josh was going to like try to go. I was like, oh, he'll let Bob say it, and then we'll say it together. And then you just started, and I was like, oh, fuck, I got to jump on the train. Can you guys do it again? Bob was all in. We can. I mean, this is what happens, Bob. A lot of times we tell Jacob to edit it so it sounds like we did it, and then he doesn't do that. (laughs) I don't know much about having an editor, so you got to keep me informed on all these happenings. I mean, he's the best ever, but I don't know if he has the magic to make us line up. Because we are, again, and also friend of the show and bass player from my band, Mr. Andrew Welbrock, he is always sure to tell me when we don't line up. And he's like, yo, man, you could have done better. Like, count. You know what I mean? Like, it's like one of those things. Like, all right, rhythm section. I get it. All right. Josh, you want to take another pass? Uh, no, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Let's leave it at that. All right, let's fun. go. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, Bob, how would you like to go? You know, as you know, this is our time to talk about the the whack stuff that bummed us out this uh, since we last recorded or the stuff that was on track that got us excited. Bob, would you like to go first, second, or third? Um, I'd like to go first. Let me yeah. go first. Jump in. Do it. I yeah. feel that. I feel it. Okay, so... Now I'll, I'll I chose where I was going to go. What do you want me to start with? Do you want me to start with what I thought was whack, or what I thought was on track? It's your Wherever call, buddy. Your heart tells it's your, you, buddy. Whatever you feel in your heart. Well, I am going to go with. Uh, so 
I don't really talk too much about some of the stuff I, I like um, as far as movie or TVs uh, have been going. So uh, I really uh, I skipped on the FX program, The Americans, when it was in run. And I've oh. revisited it, and I binged it, and I really liked it. Um, I it's thought it was sick. It's real good. Yeah. I never I, – I, I don't know why. I, I kind of just gave it – I gave it a cursory note, like, oh, that seems sort of like an interesting concept. Eh, I don't know. I might not like it. And I never watched it. So then I gave it a try. It was on, I have a running note in my phone, like, movie and TV to check out, right? I, like, fell in love with it. So I, I just finished my second run-through of it during COVID here. Uh, because after after I watch something I love, I usually, you guys might get this, I think, um, certain personality types do. I like to go back and kind of comb through and see what it was that I missed and, and kind of really, oh, yeah. really marinate in it. Um, so I just finished that. that. That's a great show. That's that's fully on track, I'd say. Um, Whack, I'm going to bring up something that kind of got mentioned. And, and I'm, I'm maybe not as negative as either of you, but when you make a recut of a movie four yes. hours and two minutes long... It's a lot of hours and minutes. It's so right. many. The Snyder Cut, ah. Justice League. Now, this was the first note I sent to a friend who, who loves comic books as much as me. It's clearly better. It's absolutely better than the... But that's the, easy. But that's easy. Right. It, it's yeah. not... But it was so long that there was a moment two hours into the movie... <laughs> Where as I was watching it with my seven-year-old, I go, "Oh, is this almost done?" Because oh, oh, we're halfway! Oh my god! <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh. hey, true test. Uh, four-year-old spit truth, seven-year-old spit truth. He goes about three and a half hours in. Do you think we should finish it now, or should we save the rest of it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Bad sign, folks. It's a lot. It's, it's, it's interminable. It's so fucking... Uh, okay, let me just say straight up, I do think it's an improvement, and there are things about it that I like, and I kind of get why some people like Zack Snyder, even though usually I don't like him as a director. Like, I just... I don't get the appeal of him overall. I mm. There are moments of this that I think are really good. I think he really nails it occasionally. Yeah. The mm. mistakes, the things that... Uh, that uh, you know, I'm not going to say... I shouldn't say mistakes. The things that didn't vibe with me didn't vibe so fucking hard that they like really bummed me out and made me be like, why am I watching this? Like there were multiple times I really was like, I'm actually going to stop and I'm going to go do something else and I'll come back to this <laughs> later, which I, you know, I kind of felt okay. But I mean, the whole thing maybe should have been a TV series anyway. Like they should have broken mm. it up and done like okay. a four part mini series. And that would have like I mean, gone down. Clearly better. the parts are demarcated throughout the goddamn movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know what That's I'm right. saying? Like yeah, yeah, literally broken down parts then. Ah, sweet baby. You know what I didn't look for, and I, I were was each chapter roughly equivalent, or or were there a couple shorter ones and longer ones? When I'm thinking about it, it doesn't feel like they were all equal. They but, weren't. But if you do that, like why why not split it up a little more? I, I think there was a large swath in the first third of the movie that really could have been trimmed down. Yes. You know? And there were mm. even scenes that I enjoyed or thought were good that when you, it's sort of, you look at the whole and go, hey, you just asked me to sit down for four hours and watch this. 
there's parts here that I think you could take out. And, uh, you know, long, long story short, I think it's almost interesting because it feels like an experiment of the format. I don't yeah. think you w- okay. they would have I don't think Warner, I don't think Warner Brothers would have greenlit a 4-hour movie for the theater. No, Same I mean, thing, you know, like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, I have the the double disc 6-hour versions and watch those, but you know, like that's they didn't greenlit that to go in the cinema, you know? But that's part mm. of my frustration though is this idea that like this is was Snyder's vision from the beginning and this is what he would have put in theaters. Motherfucking no. Like if if Correct. what happened didn't happen, we would have never seen this because he would have been forced to release a edited version and he they wouldn't have given him a bunch of money to make a longer ver- like none of yes. that would have happened. So as much as I mm. wish it didn't happen the way it did because it's a tragedy. You know, it's a tragedy, and I think they screwed him over, and they put Whedon in charge, who clearly Ugh. isn't cool. He fucking sucks. And I will say that the great sort of victory of this cut is that they finally gave Cyborg the space that he, Like, the idea yeah. that that dude yeah. was out there putting all that emotion into that character, and they fucking cut him from the theatrical, I would have sued as well. Like, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like, he that's is horrible. He's one that of the strong one of the- points of the movie. And that was one of the recurring themes that I came to in my head knowing it. And I actually should have more of a conversation with my seven-year-old about this. But <laughs> but I I had that in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, my God. This dude is so central yeah. to all this story. Yeah, to the whole story. Right. And, and I mean, he was, like, quite literally marginalized in the Whedon cut drastically. Like... There should be. I'm sure someone's done it, but I, I haven't looked at it. The minute count is probably outrageous, and mm. you know, I, I think there's this what weird you, what space do you guys that think, we. Though? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. I'm sorry. No, I, I was gonna say. I think there's this weird ahead. space that we are hitting right now with this because I think what happens with the Whedon cut does that just disappear? This mm. cut is four hours long, but tells a much fuller, more defined story. But God damn, if we don't need to tr- trim some fat, like <laughs> oh, we gotta, God. we yeah. gotta rip some fat. So it's like, hey, can we have the Zack Snyder recut of this, where we cut? I mean, we could cut forty minutes off this movie, and that's a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we could cut forty minutes, get this down to three twenty, and it's still a long movie. But all of a sudden, it's like, okay, maybe this is the canon that we use to move forward. Because right now we just have this really bloated grizzled steak of a movie whereas before we were given like a steakum you know well and that's the thing too yeah. is that the movie to me is so clearly designed for a future so it's weird watching it now knowing this is the end for all of this like they're not moving forward with any of this shit all of these characters are going to have new visions with new directors so like all right. of the this still feels like a setup this is a four-hour mm-hmm. setup after two 100%. other movies for a whole universe, and it doesn't. Nope. It sets us up for nothing. the The worst part being for me, I I didn't like any of the epilogue, but the part of the epilogue mm. that really like bummed me out was that to just have that ending with, oh by the way, hey, I'm Martian Manhunter. I'll see you later. I was like, <laughs> fuck you guys, fuck you, god damn it. Like, it, well, but what, let me ask you guys this: like, what do you guys think about the fact that this came to light because of pressure from social media and fans? bullshit like that's the kind of shit that really fucks with me that like you know i mean i get it there's a defined line between creator and fan right i don't think that that should go the way like oh well the fans wanted it so you know etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Like that's the same thing that happened to Kelly Marie Tran. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. fucked up, man. Like people shouldn't have that kind of power over what creators create. And oh, that's what fucks me up about this movie. I mean, look, there's a case to be made that there was some injustice here, that they treated Zack Snyder poorly. And so I think that's why it's a little bit less infuriating than it could be. However, it's telling that a lot of the people who supported this cut resorted to misogyny and hate speech and harassment mm-hmm. and are still harassing. The fans of the Snyder Cut are mad at Warner Brothers. Many of them are mad at Warner Brothers, A, for the aspect ratio thing, which was his fucking call, yes. and B, yeah. they're mad that they're not going to make more movies. And it's like, I think they've done enough at this point. So now they're, <laughs> they're review bombing the new Godzilla movie. So they're trying to, to 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 kill the new Godzilla movie on the internet um, with bad reviews because they're mad, even though they got the fucking they got their cake. You know, yep. they're eating the fucking cake and they're still out there complaining about it. I yep. can't with that sort of energy. That's what if it was like a heartfelt like I've seen other campaigns like when a TV show gets canceled and then it ends up on a shittier network. Like yes. <laughs> that's great. As long as that doesn't turn dark, I'm okay with that. But this was dark from the get-go. It was harassment and it was vitriol from day one. Well, so exactly yeah. what you're what you're pointing at, I think we're all on the exact same page with this because I have a problem with Warner Brothers basically satiating this kind of fan calling, but only because of the nature and the tone with which it took. Right. I'm happy that it got released because I'm like, oh, okay. Like, despite it being too long, despite parts of it losing me, despite parts that I thought were good still being, like, irrelevant, (laughs) I I was happy that it's released. It it is more cogent than the Whedon version. Agreed. But the fact that it was... Categorically. Like, uh, almost, like, I won't say objectively, but almost objectively. Right. Mm. The fact that it was so negative and that 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 was the wielding of this, like it's a malice, you know what I mean? It's somebody coming at you with a ball spiked as opposed to you, you created this really good parallel of when there's this huge fan base whose love for a show is not enough to sustain it on Network A, but Network C looks at it and goes, yeah, you know what? We could do that. Let's do it. You know, and and that's what I would ask people to think about, especially then when you see like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. This kind of retaliatory, retribution, vindictive nature. Like they're gonna go review bomb the new Godzilla movie. Yo, let's let that stand on its merit, whether it's good or bad on its own, as opposed to this weird way that people are seeing they they hold power. That said. I'm not trying to cape up for fucking Warner Brothers here. I'm just saying that this is this is messing with the ideas of how art gets made and how it right. can be sustained on these big formats. Does that need to change? Absolutely. Do I think that the way people did it is the right way? No chance. And it's it's a bummer to see it because it's like, yo, you had the right spirit, you had the right numbers, you had the right uh, like drive but the motivation and tone you took was wrong. Yeah, Agreed. I gotta agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep it moving though, because we could. I could complain about this movie. Yeah, for a I know. Whole so, episode, so that was so. why I'm on track. <laughs> for I mean, four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the <laughs> Americans. I just started um, the Wilds on Amazon Prime. Uh, off. It was off to a rough start, but I am committed, and so far I've found that I like some of the characters. 
some of it feels really formulaic and um, almost like whodunit TV trash style, but it's been a while since I enjoyed a show like that, so I'm in on it. Uh, and I also have enjoyed the Vow and Seduced, the Nexium documentaries about sure, the, sure. Uh, oh, wow. the Nexium cult. Yeah, I think those were pretty fascinating. And I heard that Seduced was better than the Vow. The Vow. Uh, whew, that's a good question. I, I think Seduced might be a little better because just the narrative rolled better. The Vow sure. basically yeah. took what should have been like four or five episodes and stretched it to eight. I think so. It's just. Uh, too much butter spread over toast by the end. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Cool. Or too little butter spread over toast. I should say. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's my whacking on track. Awesome. Uh, Josh, you want me to go or do you want to go? Yeah. Go ahead, Liam. Okay. I don't think, did I on the last episode talk about Raya and the Last Dragon? No, you did not. I oh, haven't man. seen it yet. Oh, man. Yeah? So yeah. Uh, I watched Raya and the Last Dragon. People know, I only bring it up occasionally on the show, but people know that I watch a lot of kids' media now with my daughter, uh, and she is more stoked on things than you would think. At four, I thought she would still be like more into PBS-style stuff, but she's pretty stoked on a lot of stuff. She she won't watch The Lion King because the hyenas are too scary, but for the most part, she's pretty stoked on a pretty wide variety of cartoons. She saw the picture for Raya and just saw a cool girl with a sword and that was all it took she loves <laughs> female characters of all kinds so That's she wanted awesome. to watch it so we watched it and I gotta tell you guys it's really good and people know from this podcast I'm a bit of a Moana mark you know I, I lift up Moana a lot um, what can you say you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm into it. I love it. I love the whole island feel. I love the music, all that stuff. But I think there's still a wall for some people to enjoy something with like that because of the music aspect. Like for some people, anything with singing in it is a step too far. And uh, Raya is not a musical. In fact, I can't remember the last Disney movie in recent memory that wasn't a musical. This is not a musical. It's an original property. Uh, it is the first like entirely Southeast Asian cast that they've ever done. Uh, mm. It's an awesome. It's an awesome movie. Um, I, I guess if you're comparing it to like you know uh, Bergman, it's not an awesome movie. But if you watch kids <laughs> movies regularly, this is like one of the best you know things for you know, younger people I've watched in a really long time. Um, it got me emotionally. I like the story. I like how much it's about. There's a real theme of healing that I think can seem mm. corny right now because with all the political strife we're going through, sometimes there's a little too much focus on healing. Um, when some of us are like, I don't want to reconcile with that person. Um, this movie has that message, but it doesn't feel corny or forced. It feels very earned. Mm. Uh, and I think I that's know. a, important right now um the animation is sick i mean that's not a big surprise from disney but it is particularly sick i like the references to the various cultures that they're drawing from i like that these are very much the asian dragons the long sort of dog-like things and not like scary medieval europe dragons um, yes <laughs> uh, i don't know i dig it I, I dug it top to bottom it was a lot of fun um uh this one's more on the catching up with josh tip i finally watched nomad land uh, oh, I've been wondering so about this. Good. I really like. I really like it so I, much. You know, there's been some controversy around the film just because, not controversy, but some negative feedback because some people, I think, feel like if you're going to tell this story, it needs to be a little more directly about the injustice of it all. Uh, and this movie is a little more subtle on that point. So I think if you're someone who is going to come to this with a lot of like 
already anger at Amazon and already anger at the economic system, and mm-hmm. you don't want to see a movie that deals with that a little bit less directly, this might not work for you. Uh, but people who listen to this podcast know I'm a pretty angry dude. I'm pretty mad about those things. And the movie Angsty still works. is the word I would use, but yes, yeah, go on. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> and and this movie still worked for me. It's be- I mean, first of all, of course it's beautiful. Chloe Zhang, she's an unbelievable director. She wrote yeah. this as well, obviously. And uh, this is another amazing performance from Frances McDormand. She's a fucking gift. And she really brings a lot of pain and nuance to the character. Uh, however, there is I, I I can see the pushback because there is a tiny bit of romanticization, even as they very realistically show how dangerous this lifestyle is, how the people mm-hmm. who live this way are really on the edge of society, and at any moment their lives can fall apart. Uh, these particular characters aren't really in that position. They all have some small way, some small safety net, some small way to like fix their problems and. I, that's the story being told because it's more of a human story about about grief and about how the world responds to people who can't participate in it. It's it's not a I would very much say it's not an ideological film. It's not a message movie. It is a film that is much more uh, textured and human, which is partly what makes it brilliant for me. But there's a lot of hurt feelings out there. I mean, the idea that Amazon has a fucking RV program because they know there are people who travel mm-hmm. around the pro yeah. the country working right. for them. So right. they pay for RV cancer. That's a real thing. They didn't make that up for the fucking movie. And the movie is certainly not positive about it. They want you to figure out that this is probably a bad thing, but it's not what the movie's about. Uh, I just think that it's, it's a, it's a bad call to punish a movie for not being what you want it to be. You know, you just have to take mm-hmm. the movie on its own and decide if it works. And for me, the movie works because it does show some of that suffering. It does show some of that pain. I think the only the only way I will say it could be pretty frustrating is if you come to the movie familiar with the book, which a lot of people aren't. But it's based off a nonfiction book, and the nonfiction book, from what I understand, focuses more on the injustice of it all and less of whatever. However, the film. A lot of the people who are in the book, the people she talks to in the book, are paid actors in this movie telling their own story. So that in and of itself is fucking beautiful. Like, it's unbelievable. And so, like, I get the anger and I want to affirm people and I get it. And, you know, I I wish there would be a film that more... Like a like maybe a documentary instead of a fiction film that more directly attacks this issue, but that doesn't change the fact that this is a beautiful film, and anyone who isn't afraid of their feelings should probably check this movie out because you will be fucking feeling them for sure. Yeah, I love it. It's whew, it's a it's lot. Oh, so good! It's so good. Uh, I also watched a documentary Man. called "Burn This Letter, Please." Um, oh, I love that one too. That one's so good. Yep. That P.S. Burn This Letter. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard about oh, this movie? I Bob? Forgot no, the tell me about this. I'm curious about this one. So uh, basically, they uh, a there's a gentleman who was a radio host in New York who eventually moved to L.A. and became a famous agent. And when he passed, he passed on these letters that he had been keeping. And when he was in New York, he was a very active member of the then very sort of uh, young but but very sort of popping uh, drag scene uh, in 50s New York. And so they use these letters to find all these old, uh, I shouldn't say old, all these drag folks, performers. I I want to say drag queens. I I should let people know that in the 50s, that was a controversial title. So some of these people still go by female impersonator. Um, okay. I don't know how PC that is, but they still call themselves that. So I just want to respect that not all of them use the term drag. Uh, but the idea is that there was this 
very vibrant scene of uh, folks who were dressing as women. Um, some of them were performing in clubs for the mafia. Some of them were in underground communities. But this gentleman had been active in all of these communities and he was keeping up his letters and they use these letters to kind of explore that time and that world and talk to these uh, uh, folks about their experience um, in that scene um, and the diversity of it and the danger of it and the, and the criminality of it. And it is so charming and beautiful yeah. and just, whew, it's the joy amazing. of it. Despite all of that stuff, yes. like, there's one yes. sequence in there where they talk about how, um, these two drag queens did a caper where they stole all the wigs from the Metropolitan yes. Opera. <laughs> of, so like, uh, That's awesome. Shit. Dude, it's hilarious. Cause like the dude with like, is there any thoughts that you had? And he's like, yeah, the two queers stole all of your wigs. And it was so, he gave like the middle fingers. It's genius. It's fucking joyful. It's despite so good. All of like the sorrow and the heartbreak yeah. that was yeah. at the time of yeah. like this, like, heavily closeted time and it's also awesome because the people who wrote the letters are telling the stories and they're now like in their 70s and they're just like oh yeah that was me like the very last one valentina or whatever i forget what the name of yeah, the, the yeah. person went by but like she the the person is narrating through the whole movie and at the end you find out that this was the elusive character that had written all these letters to this right. person it's yeah. so good it's just oh, beautifully done. It's a beautiful insight. It really shows the the humanity and the dignity of it all while also showing all the ridiculous stuff that was going on at the time. Um, and even some of the details, like when they talk about the integrated ball and like they, they have an integrated drag ball where the uptown and downtown sort of come together for this event. And it was one of the largest integrated events in New York history up to that point. Like that's crazy yeah. you know like yeah. just wow. stuff like that so it's good. it's really beautiful I, I highly recommend it um that sounds awesome i also watched on shutter a movie called violation that's getting a lot of attention Ugh. played mm. at south by southwest that yeah. is did you watch I it josh saw it at, i saw it at sundance like two months ago okay or whenever that was how did and, that uh, how did that feel for you i know this is not your vibe this is not my vibe. It's one of those movies that I thought was really good, but I am hazard to recommend it to anybody because there's huge content warnings in it. And it's like very real feeling, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even though like the premise, like, like the actual extrapolation of the premise gets to a point where it goes into like horror movie, like par not parody, but like horror movie, like, whoa, but um, getting there just seems so real. And I mean it was brutal to see. I mean, think of it as I would definitely describe it. I mean, it, people are describing it as a modern rape revenge movie. I would oh, say yeah. it's a purely realistic rape revenge movie in yeah, that I would agree. It's 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 not, you know, rape revenge films are always exploitation. So they're the most extreme version where mm. both the crime is like 20 men all leering or whatever and then the revenge is like you know, full out uh, bloody warrior or whatever, whatever. This is not that. Mm. This is a woman who is uh, hurt by a friend who denies it, like doesn't see that that is what happened uh, and mm. it has to live with her rejection by her family because of it. And then when she finally does the the deal and i don't want to like spoil anything about it it's not it's not fun times this is not a no. fun thing this is not no one filming this is like this is great right you're enjoying yourself this movie is meant to feel uncomfortable for you from top to bottom and that's what it is and it, it is, does it's very it is, effective in that regard yeah and in that way i would even say calling it a vengeance film which they're still calling it that is not even fair it's a film about trauma and suffering 
And the mm. vengeance part is just part of the narrative. It's not really thematically important. What's important mm. is how she's dealing with this pain, which makes it a, a very insightful and beautiful movie in a lot of ways. But only a certain kind of person can make it through this movie. Like, yeah. if you're someone for whom movies should be enjoyable, this is not enjoyable. This is pain no. from top to bottom. Yeah. It is uncomfortable. Yeah. It is awkward. It is oh whew. anyways i don't want to ruin it for people and get too into describing it because i think it, it has a lot of surprises but but i can say the surprises aren't the point you're not watching it to be like can't wait to see what happens next i think from basically the beginning of the movie you kind of know where it's going and it's just upsetting yeah. over and over yeah. and over again so um, and it's relentless that's the thing about that movie it yes. doesn't let up at yes. all like when you get to the part that's like the part you're just like I still don't feel like I breathed this entire wow. movie. It's yeah. it's intense, I, man. I I know that I haven't seen this. I'm personally curious about it, but it's the way you put that, Liam, is exactly right. There's there's movies like this that for me, I, I want to go and experience that and see it and kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, feel that movie. But but the way movies have moved, sometimes topics like this, despite how they might veer into fiction can feel way, way too real, at least through certain segments of it. So, um, I mean, yeah, I think for I, some really people, I think for some people, they're going to prefer that in the sense that uh, making it into a fiction movie that is for entertainment maybe plays down the actual trauma of the thing itself. And this yes. movie's trying not to play down the trauma, even if the thing itself is not as traumatic as it could be, it's right. traumatic because it exists. You know what I mean? And right. so... Um, Anyways, I don't again, I don't want to get too explanatory with it. All I will say is um if me saying it's so upsetting that I'm still a little upset by it uh encourages you to see it, then maybe you would like to see it. If you're someone for whom uh you, a content warning means something and you actually are worried about how it's going to make you feel, just do yourself a favor, don't, you know, at best, maybe go read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia or something. You know what I mean? Like don't don't subject yourself to this cuz it's it's tough, uh, and, and and I'm not saying that in a way because I want the movie to do poorly. I thought the movie was really well done, but I do think it's worth letting people know some people just won't be able to watch this, and that's not weakness. Mm. That's just the reality of, like, this is serious, and it's heavy, and I'm glad it exists, but it's not for everyone. It was part of the midnight screenings at um, at Sundance, so Melani and I just categorically like those. You know what I mean? Like yeah. We typically will watch any of the midnight screenings because that's our vibe. Like We like horror movies. And then this happened and it was different for sure. It was not what I was expecting at all. I mean, like I yeah. read the synopsis. I knew what it was kind of about. But then when we got to it, I was like, I think I'm going to vomit. Like it's yeah. that real and it's pretty serious and it's yeah. not a fun horror movie at all. No. But it is. Make no mistake. It's a horror movie. Oh, yes. Yeah, without a doubt. It's fucked up. Um, yeah. Uh, I've been going for a while, so I'll just really quick mention. I've been watching Letter Kenny. Everybody's right; it's great. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's fucking hilarious. And I also want to mention, uh, music wise, the new Porcupine record. I'm very stoked on. Yeah, that um, was going to be the one I was going to talk about. It's great. It's so good. It's so <laughs> fucking good. I'm also into the new Zorn record, uh, Hardcore Zorn. Um, I really like the old Zorn record, but this one is even more intense and just out of control so uh if you guys haven't checked out either of those i, I recommend it there's a bunch of other good new music but i want to give josh uh, you know his fair his fair shake josh what's what's whacking on track for you buddy man so i have not had the best couple weeks 
No, it's been a rough time. The truth of the matter. I have not had fun in a bit. Yeah, prep for this show, watching Wayne's World and watching House Party has been a joy. And um, everything else, everything else in my life this past couple of weeks has not been that. So my grandmother passed two weeks ago, and I've been dealing with that. That's a lot. And then um, mm-hmm. yesterday, my friend Rob from Black Train Jack passed, and that was that was fucked up too. So it's been like beset, but with this like horrible like sense of loss, and you know what that what that feels like. Like it sucks. Yeah, I'm not having lot. fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this week, I basically just focused on trying to watch things that were self-care oriented, like just fun things. So yeah, I watched Josie and the Pussycats for the yes. thousandth time. And you know nice. what? Still good. Not still gonna lie good. That shit still, good. still slaps. Yep. Mm-hmm. What Can't a soundtrack. Oh my God. Still fun to listen to. Oh my goodness. Wonderful soundtrack. And uh, I watched Pitch Perfect. Like these just stupid, like, you know, That's fun so movies. Fun. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to work right now. You understand what I'm saying? Like I'm not no, trying to put you. myself yeah, in a place. Cause, cause I'm there and it's just, it's just so much. Um, musically, uh, kind of the same thing. I mean, like, I still listen to sad music to make me feel better, and I don't know what that says about me as a person. So, you know, I've been really into that newest Nick Cage or Nick Cave um, record, Carnage, yeah, which I talked about before. There are a couple hardcore records that I've been listening to. I like the God's Hate record. Um, I've been really listening to um, this band called Human. Have you guys heard of this band called Human? The the record is called Delicacies of Extinction. No. Okay. Yeah. It's like uh, it's 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 like crusty style like activist hardcore that I grew up on that yes. I have on that, like yeah. I love. Okay. But um it's I'm pretty sure it's people of color because the first song is called Brown Scare. And yes. that shit is hard. Oh my goodness, it's wonderful. And um so yeah, Delicacies of Extinction is the name of the I think it's a demo. It's 19 minutes yeah. long. It's super, super good. The band is called Human. And um, yeah, I've been listening to that a lot. So that's all I got, oh, man. Cool. It's just been so fucking much lately. Like right, your boy is right. like stressed. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm like at I don't I'm not at my breaking point, but I'm also like kind of wondering when like this, you know, hot mess express is gonna stop on this fucking, you know, shitty highway that I've been on. And um, it's it's not been fun. It's not been fun. But you know, it's it's also life. So what are you gonna do? I'm not gonna complain. You know what I mean? Like this is just where where we are. So I got to keep it keep it moving. It's but, a lot. It's a lot though. And I and I gotta yeah. say, Josh, like the I hope you have seen, but in case you haven't, the the people who love you have been really out, like hoping that you hear them and know that they're thinking about you. And and I, I want people who listen to the show to know like we've gotten messages from y'all and people, you know, they just love Josh and they want to know that they want you to know that they love you. So uh, you know, we I, I want to say thank you to them and, and, and Josh, I just want to say I'm so glad that like we still have this show to do together and it's a time for us to like uh you know connect and hopefully give you a chance to like think about other things and and feel Mm -hmm. uh feel good in in creating something together you know as i said before before you started recording liam is one of my very best friends in life Mm -hmm. and the fact that i even have a chance to talk to you liam and just like connect to you on a regular basis i mean we talk all the time even though I don't know Bob, if if your friends do this to you when um, you call them and they say, "Hey, why are you so old and calling people? Everybody just texts now." Like, <laughs> but like other than that, like just being able to like have this <laughs> as a thing, you know what I mean? Like have this as a thing that I can look at and have like just 
know that there's solid footing there. Between this and just, you know, writing songs and stuff like that, that's my only therapeutic outlet at this point. And right. um, both of those things are very important to me. And Liam's a part of both of those things, honestly. So, you know, it's, I mean, like, those aren't, like, all bad, right? We're all looking up. Like, I've, I've been no. vaccinated. Like, most of the cross keys are vaccinated now, so we'll be able to practice pretty soon. We're looking at, like, May to start it up again. But yeah. there are things coming. But this, like, actual moment in time right now is, like, fuck. It's hard. Yeah. And I am Yo, I'm not having a good time. <laughs> Josh, I feel for you. You're going through it. Um it's never easy. Your your energy here, your relationship with Liam, you know, y'all you, you have the right energy and it's inspirational. I hope people think about that and think about the way you're you're handling it. So thank you for sharing that. I, I appreciate I appreciate you guys letting me come on and, and talk um do you guys want to get some donuts at stan makita's or <laughs> <laughs> yo yo i mean we're gonna get into it but uh you know teaser before we take a quick break uh i immediately as i was watching this movie looked up where it was filmed because i thought if that's a real donut place anywhere near me i don't care how far away in chicago i'm going there right fucking now and of course it's not it's all in california man it's well, all in right. california and fuck, stan fuck. makita's isn't a real donut place they based it after Tim Hortons and that's the first uh, time I ever knew that was on this re watch because I saw the scene I, uh, how many times have I seen Wayne's World? A billion Right. I was like yo that donut place looks so good right now where is that? And no, no. Alright well we're no, going to take a quick honestly, break Oh go ahead Josh Just real quick watching these movies has been a source of true joy for me in the past yeah. two weeks Bob so thank you so much for picking these because this was awesome So oh, after the break after the break, we will talk about Wayne's World and House Party. Boom. We'll be right back. All right.
And we're back. We are here with Mr. Bob Shedd of the Axe to Grind podcast to discuss two movies. We're going to talk about House Party and we're going to talk about Wait For It, y'all. That's what's coming right now. Wow. <laughs> let's let's start. So, wait, so go ahead. How did we come to this idea? What happened? Like we were just like Bob. What do you want to watch? That's what you, <laughs> Bob, like, well, that's Bob, what in true Bob fashion, he had a list of like six different possible topics, and yeah. one of the topics that I latched onto immediately was this idea of ultimate '90s movie. Um, but I didn't have any good uh, ideas. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have any good ideas. And actually, Josh, you picked House Party because I I said to like Bob, I think that's a good idea, and he was like, Yeah, I'm thinking this movie or that movie. I'm not sure. So then I went to you, Josh, and I'm like, I'm talking to Bob about being on the show. He said '90s movies, and you immediately, without thought or hesitation, went House Party. We're yeah, doing House Party. It was the easiest yes that I've had in a long time to go. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so you know, it was it was interesting too because quintessential or like ultimate 90s movies is a tough one because you could go eight million different directions right right and and i think we kind of clued into this really interesting parallel here between wayne's world and house party and we'll kind of dig into it and tear it apart i hope a little bit but but there were other movies that we could have done and and in in following like after we had picked it i was talking to some friends i was like yo what are some of your ultimate 90s movies and we went different ways and you know i'm trying to think mm. jurassic park right uh, right yeah force gump uh yeah. you know um some of these other like movies but uh, clueless for example but they didn't i think what house party and wayne's world Maybe House Party better than Wayne's World, but I think they capture this weird moment, either specifically what it felt like in a place and time, or with Wayne's World, a little bit of like this attitude, because in in a lot of ways, Wayne's World feels very throwback. I think you noted uh, kind of to tease, Liam, that it feels like the tail end of the 80s, and there's a lot of, mm. there's a lot of backward looking from, from the Wayne's World perspective, but... These two movies were so synonymous with that time frame. Yep. You know, I, I don't know how old you guys are exactly, but I know we're all in the same basic age range. I was explaining to my my significant other, who is only four years younger than me, but I was like, she she had never seen Wayne's World before. Ah, right. What? Right. I know. Four years younger, grew up. You know, she just. But but you think about it, like I think. So in 1992, which is when Wayne's World comes out, I was 10. Sure. I'm in third grade, I think that puts you in. And I was saying to her, I was like, oh, this is why I know all the words to Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's sort of like this kind of... Anyways, it, it shaped a lot of the way it was. And then I got in a house party like maybe two years later, and it had been a movie for a while. But both those movies just felt so like ever present if that makes any sense mm, right yeah 100 percent. yeah M- me especially and G- if you had like hbo at that time yes because then that was what they showed over and over yes regular rotation right yeah, me and josh like me and josh are just like a couple years older than you and so like this came out when it came out when i was 13 and it was just before i heard punk it was like I was mm. almost at punk. Right. And so it comes out, and I'm still – like I'm listening to a lot of gangster rap, but I'm still listening to a lot of like rock and metal stuff. And it felt like 
when I first saw it, like it felt so now, like I even understanding mm. it was a joke, like I understood it was a joke, but it also felt real. Like I know these dudes only like very quickly, all of that went away. You know, by the time <laughs> I was 15, just two years later, I would watch Wayne's world again and be like, there's these people don't exist anymore. Like no one is That's this right. guy anymore. That's right. You know, the people I know who were that guy were suddenly trying to figure out how to not be that guy because it yes. seemed so lame already. And yet even knowing that Wayne's world felt like a, like a through point for the whole decade until maybe the end of the decade when everyone started to get obsessed with like, you know, the new millennium. But, mm-hmm. uh, but there's something about it. And I think, part of what you were touching on, Bob, that's worth naming, and we'll talk about it more as I go in, is that anything from the beginning of a decade is really the last gasp of the previous decade. You know yes. what I mean? Mm. So, like, yes. sure. I regularly hear younger people who aren't quite as movie obsessive as I am, and good for them, um, will say, <laughs> say, say, oh, that movie, it, it's like a 70s movie. And in my head, I go, 81, 80, yeah. 82. Right, right, because right. you know, like... Anyone in a movie in 1982 looks like they're from 1976 because this idea that all the things we associate with the 80s hadn't quite developed yet. You know? That's right. They're they're kind of evolving, and when you start looking at a movie from eighty one, well, what's that mean? Production starts seventy nine, eight. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Like, mm-hmm. There's all these little connections. I okay. So let me go on my time tangent here. I'm a huge proponent that we look at things on a decade by decade basis. Yeah, and it feels mm-hmm. it feels a little weird. It, it makes sense when you think about it, but uh, I love music. I love movies and stuff. I love sports. Sports is my easiest one for this. But I think we'd all be better served if we were looking at things in five-year ranges. Because I yeah, think yeah. when you look at any kind of form of entertainment or whatever, something from 1981 to 1985, I'd almost argue the difference between 1980 to 85 or 81 to 85 is a lot smaller than the gap between uh, 85 to like 88. But these these five year ranges, I, I think the nineties is a perfect example. From ninety six to two thousand, those movies feel sometimes look a lot different than movies from ninety one to ninety five. Right. Mm. Um, so it's 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 a really uh, fun way to play with it. But yeah, I, I think both of these movies, it's like they're both formative of what the nineties was moving towards. And also a little bit of the remnants of the the late eighties. Well, and it's haunted by what would become. There's a brief echo. If if I could be philosophical for a moment, there's an echo <laughs> of ghosts yet to come because there's a Primus yes. song, and you're just like, mm. oh no, you don't even know. You don't even know <laughs> that soon, soon this weird bass band will supplant all of the guitar gods to which this film is dedicated. People will be yeah, actually listening to a weird bass guy go, well, better was a race car driver or whatever the fuck it is, you know? Uh, I, I, similarly, I was thinking of this. There's a horror movie we covered on Harvest. It's called Brain Scan. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. after we finished Primus it, we, we, we all described it as the most 90s movie ever because Primus is on the soundtrack. Mud Honey is on the soundtrack. Fuck Cool. seaweed is on the soundtrack oh, yeah. uh it's very much like this not but then i was like yeah but actually it's just our 90s because by 99 yep. 
No one is like, yo, we should put Mud Honey on the soundtrack. Or even, I would argue, they're not even putting Primus on soundtracks by 99. You know what I mean? Like, No, by the late 90s, Primus was was novelty to be. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, yes. To be not kind, but fair. They were this big brown beaver era yeah. Primus yeah. that's like they're rounding the corner in pork soda and all that. that oh, point. man. Yeah. Jesus. Oh. Oh, but, that, but, but that's a reality. And in the same way, like, when you really show your age when you answer the question, what is the ultimate 90s? 90s, whatever. Because if you ask someone ultimate 90s and their answer is like singles, well, you know mm. how old they are. Mm-hmm. Because the reality mm-hmm. is nobody was re-watching singles in, in 99 that was stoked on like uh bright colors and the backstreet boys. Like that wasn't mm. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah, no, there's this wave, there's waves of movies. I think that man, yeah, right. Like you could probably do Venn diagrams, like, okay. If you're saying singles is the best movie, you probably like this one and this one and this one, and maybe it's not too far from these movies, but you're not going to be talking to me so much about uh, Jawbreaker or something right. like that. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're going to be shifting the. Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty fascinating to think about it. Um, so where where do we start? Do we want to start with Wayne's World? Do we want to start with House Party? I'm I'm game. I'm I'm ready. I'm, hey man, as our guest, Bob, you should decide. What do you feel like talking about first? <sighs> I watched House Party first and went through it twice because uh, it had been longer, um, right. which is so weird because, again, I don't know when the last time I watched Wayne's World was. Um, my history with this is that this was the House Party as a suburban kid in upstate New York uh, felt like the coolest movie. Yes. It felt yeah. so cool. And I still got some of those I vibes, just... you know? Yeah, man, Kid and Play. I mean, like, it's hard to state the fact that Kid and Play were, like, the premier dudes at that time. You know what I mean? Like, right. especially as a Philadelphian who has some type of pride in Fresh Prince and, and, you know, and DJ Jazzy Jeff and all that stuff. Sure. But, like, Kid and Play were, like, they were, like, the titans at the time, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, dude, this movie is so, man, I love this movie so much. And just... Those two guys were why I watched it so much at the at the beginning because, you know that this came to me also before Punk did, yeah. So this is before like me like branching out from listening to LL Cool J every day and like you know all that stuff. And that's the other funny thing about this movie. Like, all right, sorry, let's let's get into it. Let's just do yes. house party for the few people so- listening who haven't seen the movie. This is you know kid and play are high school kids. Uh, play uh, his his parents are away so he's having a party um yes. kid wants to in go his house at his house, house obviously party, yes. uh they have these two uh young women that they're interested in one of which is uh gina from martin uh martin yes. lawrence Keisha is also Campbell. in this movie yeah is and uh and they want to get over uh, oh and kid gets in trouble at school so his dad kind of grounds him for the night and says he can't go to the party and he sneaks out to go. There's also these bullies who want to uh, beat him up. There are these cops who are constantly harassing the the neighborhood. We'll get into that in a sec. Um, and so mm. the, the film is sort of a basic party movie um, where, the, you know, there's the bullies who want to beat them up. There's the complicated love interactions. Uh, there's the dancing, which is like, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the whole fucking movie. And then... Yo, it um, might be the peak, yes. Yeah. And then there's uh, misadventures that involve jail, and then everything uh, yes. resolves in the end. Uh, and plus, uh, uh, Kid's dad is very funny. Um, very funny. Uh, let's Let's just start with, like... <clears throat> 
Yes, this is a movie from 1990, which means it is the ghost of the 80s. But a lot of what's going on in this movie still felt relevant to me pretty long into the 90s. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of influential stuff here. Don't you think that's true? I think compared to Wayne's World, this is definitely a more forward-thinking movie. And I think that was like, generally speaking, the difference between hip-hop and and guitar rock of the time. Right? Like that hip-hop at the time was, was... it was moving from, you know, the Furious Five, from moving from like those more like Houdini, those guys, into mm-hmm. this younger breed of more like beautiful colors and like, you know, tribe and cross colors and like that whole era of hip hop when hip hop was fun. You know what I mean? Like we're moving away from like the the sheer pioneerness of a run DMC and you're moving into this kid and play time when it was they were called kid and fucking play man like that shit is fun as fuck they had and a dance yes they <laughs> did dude it was the shit and like it was such uncharted territory right like you didn't know what was coming next and like there were like of course you know there were always like the dudes who listened to bands like guy and listen to like Ralph Chesman and like all that stuff. But then like the hip hop that came of it was the hip hop that was created from standing on the shoulders of these people. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. there was always a forward momentum to the hip hop culture of that time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the whole elements and all that stuff. Yes, like that yeah. shit was like my favorite time in hip hop. But it's funny because you watch like the hip hop parts in this movie and you're like, that's what young kids think old hip hop sounds like today. You know what I mean? Like, Oh no. Like it sounds like tough crew. It sounds like all that like weird old, like pre rock him stuff. Like, Oh man, this is, it's a little hard on the ear. I'm going to admit it. You know what I mean? But like, I know ultimately that's what made house party Two way cooler. Cause Raphael Sadiq and Tony, Tony, Tony were in there. Like that shit was awesome. The pajama jammy jam. It's so good, but we're, we're not at, talking about that right no, now. No, no, we're not. No, they, they upgrade the music for the sequel. I, I think you <laughs> nailed so hard. This movie feels the, the momentum. It's forward momentum. Right. Uh, both it has this hip-hop feel to it. This is the lost bridge to me between teen movies of the 80s and teen movies of the 90s. Yes. It gets lost uh. partially because... It's a black movie, right? Yes. Like I'm not mm. wrong for saying that. And it just no. like you look around and like, oh, if you replaced, and it's crazy to say this, yo, if this is a if this was a um, Ron Howard movie or some shit, they'd mm. all be a bunch of white kids. But the movie could be the exact same. There's the mm. lunchroom scene, right? There's the well, no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it wouldn't be the exact same because there's some really important differences that right. For its time, are so uh, forward thinking, right? But anyway, yeah. what I'm saying is, this is a teen movie, not even disguised, but it just didn't read the same. And it's a yeah. party movie, Liam. You said it too. But it's like you go through all these little scenes, and I'm like, this feels familiar. This feels familiar. You know, mm-hmm. the the lunchroom scene, the invitation scene where they're going around inviting people, the pickup scene when they're picking up people in the car. I feel like that's sixteen <laughs> candles. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah, car yeah, yeah, in front yeah, of the house, sure. right? The bully jocks in a Jeep. What? <laughs> right, right. Dude. Angry neighbor. So and mm. hilarious, yeah. hilarious dad uh, serving his comic relief throughout. Um, there's some key differences that make this movie really vital. But where you where you went with this, I, I loved uh, Josh because Wayne's World feels like it's grasping backwards. 
and it's kind of where mm. where rock music was right in that pre-grunge like the it's the all right guns and roses seems to have taken hair metal to the the furthest extent it could and got kind of grimy but where can it go from here and then grunge explodes and and we ceased having the ability right. for for stuff like Wayne's World to exist but I just feel like this movie has so much going on. Um, and like, can I ask you both a question? Yes. Sure. Are you more of a kid or more of a play? Then and now. Mm, still kid, because man. Then, then I felt kid. And this time around, I was like, man, play's pretty cool. But but also, <laughs> there was these elements of play where I'm like, play, you're kind of a dick sometimes, right, man. What, right, what's yeah. going on? So, and so they the, build on that in the subsequent movies, too, that yes, he's kind of an asshole. Yes. You know what I mean? So, so also, Kid is the hero, right? But let's be honest, dudes. If you guys went to parties back in the day, which I never did, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. My party experience was not, even in college, I was like, wait, you guys go to places with people? No, not a thing. But <laughs> who shows up at any of those things in a suit? Despite right, the flyness right. of said suit, because let's be honest, dudes, Play's suit is pretty dope in this in this movie. Yo, he rocks it. He that, looks so good. That yellow and blue job? Are you kidding me? That shit is hard. But yo, man. I mean, it depends, Josh. Are we talking about a ska party? Because then maybe, <laughs> maybe I would, I would be in a suit. No, I I, I think we, we've hit on a bunch of things, and, and I yeah, I want to spend some time talking about the the funniness of the movie. But first, Bob, you kind of pointed at something, and I want to follow that thread, which is please the big gulf between this and let's just say white teen movies yeah. is a decision of the context of the film, which I don't know about you guys, but when I saw this film as a kid, mm. I, it didn't occur to me that there was this like haunting of the menace of police that like <sighs> what sets us apart is that they are being harassed because they are black and the film yep. doesn't, that's not what the film's about. This isn't boys in the hood, but mm. it is, a precursor to that that this movie opened wide a lot of people saw it who weren't black like this movie had yes. some play in the white community and yes. i bet none of them knew that cops just harass so much so that even the uptight old people don't want to deal with the fucking cops when he is assaulted right. by kid he's fucking assaulted mm. and he's like no nah, yeah. i don't want to press charges like the fucking pigs like you know what i mean like yes. that reality at the time and maybe it was because i was listening to a lot of rap or you know just by context it didn't seem strange to me it just was like oh yeah of course mm. that's part of it but looking back on it now i think what a fucking bold ass decision to say hey yeah, our movie is a fun sure. teen movie but yes. there has to be the menace of police in it even if those police don't shoot anyone they still harass the community what a fucking bold decision in 1990 incredible decision and and like it it feels like a decision and it feels intentional but also it feels so pointed because happens to kid happens to his dad right that take goes to jail uh name the white characters in the movie it's the cops. The cops. Yep. That's it. That's yep. basically yep. it. Yep. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, it might literally be it. And that kind of commentary through the 2021 lens, like, holy shit. Right. I, as, a, yeah. as a fucking suburban white kid, I remember that and being like, huh, yeah, yeah, cops. That's, that's shit. What, those are some shitty cops. And we get some weird parallels in, in Wayne's world, but just the interaction with police differences in this right. movie, mm-hmm. you know, so not to foreshadow, but this is a good point to talk about this in house party. They're being harassed. 
And, you know, like just straight up, there's no ambiguity. It's just straight up, what are you doing out here? In both situations, they're just walking down the street. In Mm -hmm. Wayne's world, the characters meet up with a police officer at the donut place and make jokes to him straight up. Calling him a pig to his face, yeah. To his face. And like playful and... And that weird, you think about what that subconscious relationship is. Mm. Part of the African-American, black, or urban community just in general. And this is your relationship. And then, hey, we're suburban white kids up to no good. We can just play and joke and ha-ha. All right, guys, move along. You know, like, oh, hey, we have Mm. our obviously intoxicated friend. (laughs) Never mind you, cop. We're going to go get some food now. See ya. (laughs) I mean, even the way that Wayne's... I mean, we'll get into this, but uh, just a precursor. Even the way that Wayne's World presents Aurora. Aurora in Wayne's World is its own world, and Chicago is a different world that you visit sometimes, but you can have a sufficient social community and nightlife in just Aurora, which is a fucking fantasy. Like, there is nothing as, (laughs) as great as the Chicago suburbs are. Anyone who was growing up in Aurora and wanted to go to metal shows was fucking driving into Chicago. There weren't right. nightclubs in Aurora. You didn't have a nightlife in Aurora. <laughs> and, and yet Wayne's World relies on that idea that Chicago is a different world. It's nearby. It's part of your of your general atmosphere. But you know, mm-hmm. she like takes a whole a whole suitcase to go to Chicago to film something. Right. It, you know, it's thirty minutes away. What what are you packing for? You know, like I, I think that's part of the vibe of the movie is this assertion that the suburbs is its own place it's its own world it's Mm. its own environment instead of almost all i mean it all suburbs if they are true suburbs are a growth of an part of an ecosystem yeah right exactly if your town exists separate from a city that's not the suburbs that's a town it's its own thing uh but anyways i don't want to get on that until we get to Wayne's world but yeah i think i will say uh just to mention it here you know i sort of teased this uh earlier in the episode but you know a lot of times returning to 90s movies can be hard. There's like problematic stuff. I will say the police part of House Party is the only problematic part in which we have kid rapping and making uh, basically jail rape jokes. You you mean the jail scene, right? Yeah. 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 The jail um, scene is rough. Man. And it's rough because A... I mean, first of all, it's not realistic, right? You're in jail. You're not in prison. You're in right. overnight tank. No one's getting yep. raped in the tank. Like, come on, man. And B, it's just part of this continual narrative that like what's happening in jail is like, you know, punishment for men that they go to this place where they are subjected to this uh, abuse. And uh, it really uh, is a way for us to dehumanize prisoners. There's a whole, we can do a whole episode on that. It's just yeah. mm-hmm. in a, in a movie that can, has a lot of opportunities to be distasteful. It's really the only part that you're like, at least for me, I was like, this is gross. Now I will say yeah. both movies are very male focused and the female oh, yeah. characters are fun, but not Ancillary as strong. At best. Yeah, yeah, don't really have as much agency. Yeah, so no, like not these, neither of these is passing the Bechdel. That's right, right, right. So that that's an issue yeah. as well. But that doesn't go into offensive. That's just like a oh, this movie would be a little better if these women had more, you know, agency, more character, more opportunity to like mm-hmm. live. All that's obviously true. House Party but, certainly did it better than Wayne's World. But yes, the, the the scene that the only I can only think of the one scene where the female characters were actually interacting and right. even that was somewhat male centric focused yeah. on the yeah. kid and play yeah. uh, dynamic. Yeah. 
But I, I just want to, you know, I, I say it partly because some people might return to House Party because we're stoked on it and be like, yes, finally, a, a non-problematic fave from back in the day. And I just want to say, like, the jail part, it, it, it's legitimately, not me being sensitive, it's legitimately a little rough just in the tone of it and, and the jokes that are being made. If you can get past that part, though, I think the rest of the movie slides pretty good and is... Mm-hmm actually still funny like it's not funny mm-hmm. like oh i used to think this was funny like you know uh, uh the example i always bring up with josh is the eddie murphy movie golden child when i was a kid uh-huh. i thought that was the funniest fucking film and then i rewatched it as right. an adult and i'm like this is not funny at all this movie still <laughs> is very funny um and, and and i gotta say one of my favorite parts is kid's dad like i just fucking oh. love him as an uh, actor yeah. and i love his performance in this movie Robin Harris, man, he did Baby's Kids. Yep, um, he's great. Mm-hmm. He has a bunch yeah. of uh, really famous records of his stand-up comedy. That's like you know, basically this. He was 35 when they filmed this movie, by the way. Whoa! <laughs> wow. Yeah, and Kid was 25, so he was only 10 years older. Oh than my god! And Very believable father-son. Yeah. And then he died three months after the movie was released. I know. Insane. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah, no, a uh, friend of the show and a uh, former bandmate of mine, Mr. CPM, Colin McGinnis, has a tattoo of Robin Harris on his arm from uh, the comedy <laughs> record. It's just, it's a cartoon of Robin Harris, and, and he has a word bubble that says Shave Monkey Nuts, which is uh, one of the punchlines <laughs> in one of those records. And it's one of my favorite tattoos I've ever seen in my entire life. But um, yeah, dude, he's so good. I also made a little mistake. It wasn't Clarence Williams who played the neighbor, it was John Witherspoon. Yeah, so that's I what I was. That's what a, I thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, just in case somebody wants to come for your boy, I'm saying I made a mistake. <laughs> I own it. I know. Let's I move know. on. But, uh, do dude, we think that so the... much of that? Go ahead. No, there's just so much of those. Like that's the thing about this movie, right? Like all of like the the secondary players in this movie are all these like hilarious people. They're great. Like, dude, come on, George Clinton is the DJ at the at the fraternity S- party. Fucking magical. So cool. what the shit was that about? That shit was hilarious, man. Like it's, it's the whole thing. It's just such a fun movie, despite the prison scene, the jail scene, which is fucked up. I'm not going to say it. No, jail cool, scene, but. jail scene's really rough. Um, if if you look for the lyrics, you'll see that they actually come off worse in print yes. than than they wow. were in the scene. Um, really, really rough, uh, and and you know, indicative of how different the time was. Um, yep. And and it's like that's not an excuse for it. It's actually like just a sad note. Like it's just a sad yeah. note to see that that's kind of how an entire generation that, and, like, and people were growing up on like this kind of jokes. language. Yo, some yeah. of the full force jokes are all pretty sure. like, oh, come yeah. on, guys, like what? That's a thing. Yeah. But you know, that said, um, I thought that full force of the foil was really funny. <laughs> like you know, like those three dudes are just. Yes. I mean, like homophobia jokes notwithstanding like just the fact that they're trying to burn the house down with gasoline at the end like that 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 whole interchange between the three of them when they're grabbing weapons and he pulls out the gas can and they're like whoa 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 what's going on that was so funny i think how this movie really stands up from a lot of peers of the time is that it's got really overt humor it's got physical humor and also these subtle recurring jokes, like we haven't talked about Martin Lawrence's character, right? Hilarious, like oh man, like, he's not even <laughs> low key so good. He's just so good in this like you know uh, support role as this anxious, bothered friend. The dragon breath recurring joke with him, it's every time <laughs> so they do funny. it, so funny. good, so good, oh, and it's God. subtle, it's but they hit you with it, and they hit you with it, and they hit you. With it. It's um, 
low-key, there's really good things. I think one part that um, I, I think was so 90s about this movie was the smoke machines as they enter the house with yes. the like house party part. I was like, oh, because in my head as a child, I was like, is this what I have to look forward to? I'm going to get to go to parties with smoke machines? I was so excited. I mean, um, I don't know about you guys, but for me, this movie, and, and the other movies compared to, but for this, this movie, basically... I thought this was what parties were like for yes. a long time. Like when I finally started going to parties, unlike Josh, I actually went to some parties in high school <laughs> and I went to maybe a couple in college and none of them. I just never went to a party like this. In fact, this is the one of the better ironies because my friend, uh, Justin, I lived with in Princeton. Uh, he, him and his, uh, his ex-wife used to tell this story about the first time I invited them to a party when I was going to Princeton Seminary. And they were like, mm-hmm. ooh, seminary party. Okay, like this is going to be a bunch of theology students like smoking pipes <laughs> and talking about Carl <laughs> Bart or something. And they come over. And I got to tell you guys, like seminary students get fucking lit. For a lot of these people, this is the... <laughs> less time for them to be immoral before they got ordained and became pastors so these parties literally it was it was a floor that felt like the movie house party as this is is some rum springer it was out of control (laughs) like just drinking and dancing and literally my friend justin is his uh girlfriend at the time they come in and she looks at me and goes this is like a party from a movie and she stops she goes like the movie house party this is house party Uh, and i went oh shit good pull (laughs) no that that's like a huge compliment to the party um (laughs) you you noted this i think there's there's two points at which the movie peaks to me like i actually think it had it has an interesting structure but the flow is kind of weird but the movie to me peaks either at the kid and play rap battle yes Mm. or and i think this is my personal favorite is the dance off yes the dance off is so good because up to that point i was like Okay, there's lots of dancing here, but it's in the weird early 90s, late 80s way where if you're the right person and you have good rhythm, you look really good doing it. But if you don't have it, you look really bad. It's really kind of <laughs> angular and stiff. Like yeah. all of a sudden, somebody's moving their shoulders a lot too fast. Um, <laughs> but the dance battle was perfect. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is, this is what I thought dancing was. Yeah. Like as a young person, this is this is where it came from, right here. Yeah, oh, it's man. it's it was formative. That all of those moments were just like for a long time, even when I mean there was plenty of time into the nineties when people were less stoked on kid in play. Like they weren't exactly, you know, they uh, fall out of favor by yeah. I mean, I think yeah. as the rise of Biggie and Tupac right. led to the downfall of Kid and Play. But I bet you lots of people who were stoked on Biggie, you know, were still watching House Party. I mean, I would mm-hmm. say House Party had popularity both one and two. Well into like early two thousands Jay Z time, like people were still 100%. like, this movie is important and it it and it is it, it's a representative of a kind of like I don't know joy and and community yeah. and like it, it, I, there's a lot sort of there under the surface. While it's also just funny, I, I don't know. I it, I just think Josh, you know, the last episode we did, you talked about uh, Cooley High having a lot of mm-hmm. uh, black joy in it, and I felt the same way about this movie. That there's a yeah. yes, there's there's some dark stuff here, but it's mostly a celebration of the fun that these kids are having. Yeah. I would, I would agree to that. It's definitely the uh, natural uh, progression from Crush Groove, from yeah. Break In, from yes. those movies. And it, that's like 
I think the most intoxicating thing about this movie that had, it still has that sense of promise mm-hmm. right before hip hop got dark yeah. and before yeah. it got like not fun in parts, like, and I trust, I'm not going to say that I don't like, like dark ass hip hop. Cause yeah, that is my shit. Like I still yeah, love right. boot camp. I still love all that mad negative hip hop. That's my shit. But this, at this part, it was like no shame and joy. Right, and it was right at that cusp when it was just about to go careening off the edge, and it didn't yet, and it was still that. And this movie, perfect, like, dude. And it's the funniest thing is the scene when the toilet gets clogged and Play gets bummed and kicks everyone out of the house. Yes, like that oh, it's scene so good. To me is oh my god, that's exactly the trajectory of hip hop right after this movie. Like, wait, what? Don't fuck up. And then, like, next thing you know, everyone has to go. He's throwing <laughs> coats at people. Yeah, dude, so good, so so good. I think I you summed you summed up the movie so well. No shame and joy. Yes, that's yes. really well said. I will say the only part about this movie that that uh, still kind of bummed me out is one of the bullies refers to kid as a conscious rapper, and I was like, come on now, that's not <laughs> that's not fair. This is 1990. Like, let's not so throw good. terms around that. You know, come on, that's not right. <laughs> that will, yeah, yeah. That will come to me something completely different. Yeah, like if yeah. you call him a backpacker, I'd still be like, ooh, that's a person. No, thing. that's not. Yeah, not yeah. Good. Fast forward yeah. to to kid as he exits the jail cell. Uh, we for for evidence uh, number one, we're we're okay on. That. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah there you go all right it's well unnecessary. we should I, there's probably more to say about house party but let's transition to, to wayne's world uh a movie that we already said somehow managed to look back uh into the past and then still resonate with its present um possibly and, and and this just occurred to me bob when you were describing that tendency in wayne's world possibly because all of the rock of the 90s was looking to the past i mean uh, we taught you know one of the sort of cultural moments of that time was nirvana kind of changing what was going on in rock music and yet right. the term people kept using to describe that was that it was reminiscent of punk so like even in this new movement we were right. remembering a decade ago and and i remember at the time being a high school in the 90s meant there was always one person around who thought they were a fucking hippie from the '60s. Like, oh, the, the, that's one of the biggest parts that's lost is yes. the the '90s cosplay of hippies, because you had the like weird jam band thing. Yes. Fish was going. The yes. Dead was still around somehow. Blind Melon. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, there was just this. I, I mean, I remember I dressed as a hippie for Halloween in like 1999. Yeah, which was funny because there was kids who dressed like that at my high school every day but i was like see i'm like you get it right they, they, did, they did not love it they didn't did not love it um wayne's world is really interesting because yes rock music was looking back and it was kind of i think there was a real search for like what is this if it's not referential right um and in the same way wayne's world is filled with all these direct and subtle references to movie film and time in the past and and around it so um Mm. that is sort of this weird way that i think it resembles the 90s the 90s was a decade that was really searching for itself it was trying it was trying decidedly to not be the 80s and be this its own thing but at the same time wanted to be kind of playful and fun with all the media that existed yeah. before it. So I think Wayne's World set the stage for that in a lot of ways, both directly with the like uh, Laverne and Shirley reference and mm. like the Terminator 2 reference in the movie. Yeah, um, but then the breaking the, the fourth wall, joke. you know. Yes. There's the joke about Bewitched, right? The the yep. Dick Van Patten versus uh what's his name? Um 
Dick yeah. Van Dyke or yeah. whatever. Yep. Yep. Yeah, like that that joke's hilarious to me, but it's also like, wow, I see it. You know, think about all the pop culture references that are thrown around, whether it's like Claudia Schiffer, there's these Scooby Doo, mm. yep. the you know, Calgon. <laughs> Uh, I still I frequently reference the uh, Frampton Comes Alive. Like there's all these things that are just kind of tossed about, and um, and it's it's not the first. I mean, you know, clearly this is a show that's born out of Saturday Night Live, but it was like it's it was doing the thing that I think modern media tries to do a lot, which is we're throwing reference at you. And you're going to catch it, you're not. You know what I mean? And here it is. Here it's mm-hmm. coming. Here it's, uh, sometimes it's direct and we're going to point at it. And sometimes it's going to be a wink and a nod. And uh, mm-hmm. Wayne's World, the movie, really, really, really leaned into that. Yeah, I'd agree. It's definitely like, it's that's the perfect dichotomy of this movie. Like, hit you over the head or just kind of like give you a sniff. Right. <laughs> like, that's this entire movie. Man, Do you, this, this movie... But, uh, I was going to ask just loosely... Does does crucial taunt suck? Yes, because I think they kind of suck. <laughs> no, the whole thing with I mean, uh, it's yeah. not heavy metal. We know that no, that that yeah. whole part of the movie is so weird. And uh, it, the 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 idea that like you know Wayne's World, they can't even Wayne and Garth can't really decide what music they like. Like even if you look at the posters behind them, like do I don't actually know that many people who are like. Alice Cooper and Led Zeppelin and Van Halen and Slayer, all of these bands are equal to me and I love them all. Uh, I don't know how many of those people. (laughs) It really, I I mean, I think there was a lot of what was going on is these two comedians know a certain kind of rock dude and they're trying to mock and celebrate at the same time that rock dude, but also bring in influences that felt like they might still be relevant. Only in 1992, what rock is relevant? No one can decide. You know what I mean? Like I I remember 92, 93 uh, people who were teenagers were wearing Rolling Stone shirts, you know, like that was still a fucking, I mean, that was one of the weird things about a brief aside, you know, I was, substitute teaching just before the pandemic and one of the things that always would make my head implode was how many kids at this high school would wear red hot chili pepper shirts and stone temple pilot shirts and all this stuff and i would be like (laughs) wait is this just the music your parents like and sometimes that would be yes and sometimes that would be a no but i i was really kind of bumped on it for a second and then someone else was like yeah but when you were in high school didn't kids wear beetles and rolling stone shirts and i was like the zeppelin shirt. oh shit you're yeah, right they did like people yeah. just like shit yes, from 30 did. years ago they're just like what was cool 30 years ago or 20 years ago that's what i'm 20 gonna like years ago is the number because think about this in the movie you see them wearing like lead uh, uh deep purple shirts yes. and aerosmith yes. shirts mm-hmm. and yes. Think about how relevant Bohemian Rhapsody was, a song from what, like 77? Right. To, yeah. you know, so so it's this weird, you know, we, we have this 20-year look back that they do. Um, and it, it wasn't quite 20 at that point. But yeah, you know, it's funny because you say that, you know, Rolling Stone shirts or, or even like Stone Temple Pilots or like Nirvana shirts, you can just go buy those at Walmart. Right. You know, right, yeah. and that's... 100%. Like, oh, so, so, you know, some teens can just get a rock shirt and here's the... The rock shirt I'll wear, you know, <laughs> it's so, for better it's, and worse. It's so it's so weird. It's so also like I, I I mean part of this of course is I'm 41, soon to be 42, and I I have trouble keeping track of 
the last 20 years and remembering that <laughs> things that I thought were weird in my 20s are now considered retro by teenagers. Like, uh, you know, that a, a girl in a, uh, in a uh, uh, My Chemical Romance shirt is like, being retro actually or yes even uh there, there was a there was a girl in a uh what what band was it it was like one of those uh uh uncanny valley hardcore shirts you know uh-huh, and she sure. was wearing it i'm like oh she likes that band and she's like yeah you like my retro shirt i got it from my uncle and i was like oh what the yeah. fuck is going on you know <laughs> yeah, but it's like oh dude. right 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 okay 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 and and to keep in mind that things for teenagers move very quickly you know when i was subbing in a different high school some kids were roasting another kid because they because that kid listened to future and they were saying future was uncle music that uncles at the barbecue <laughs> like future and i was like yo, uncle music so good i was I like it. yo i just Perfect figured burner. out what future is what's going on like anyways um <laughs> Uh, okay, so I, I want to hit you guys with my one big hot take from Wayne's World, which is okay. which is this. As an adult, I find Garth far more funny than Wayne. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No. He, 100% way yeah. funnier. Way funnier. Um, I, I, I appreciate Wayne. I appreciate what Mike Myers is doing. But Garth... All his mannerisms, the like s- physical comedy stuff that Dana Carvey is doing... Is perfect. There's so much so gimmicky good. stuff he does as Garth that is still fucking funny. That even at the time I thought was funny, but I just there was something about Wayne being the more dominant, supposedly oh, yeah. cooler one that appealed to me when this movie came out and I was 13. But watching it now, I'm like, I don't know. Wayne kind of sucks. Garth is awesome. Like Garth <laughs> is so fucking funny in every scene. The I Wayne mean, if versus the Garth. To be believed, it's that. Mike Myers was a terrible person to work with on the set of this show. I'm sure. And I'm one sure. of the really? one of the notes on uh, the trivia for IMDb about this movie is Penelope Spears was talking about how uh, he got to set one day and at the craft table they had butter instead of margarine and he flipped the table and straight up hit out in a trailer for like the day, like what? prima donna style. You know what I mean? And also keep in mind. Dana Carvey was the more seasoned performer and right, comedian right. by the time that this movie started. Right. So just mm. naturally, he's a funnier dude, period. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. I, I love Dana Carvey. I love Mike Myers, too. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, I do think, like, even in his newer weird tar- Tarantino shows, like, you know, he was in, uh, what, Inglorious Bastards and stuff like that. Like, yep. I'm, I, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm down. But in, in the Wayne's World canon... Yeah, Dana Carvey is 100% the funny one. I also think Dana Carvey wasn't given the chances that Mike Myers was. Like, Mike Myers got a lot of work off of this shit. And Dana oh. Carvey did not get as much. And in fact, the 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 injustice of the Dana Carvey show will continue to make me frustrated. Because that show <laughs> was fucking brilliant. And it did not get the time and consideration it deserved. So part of me, uh, you know, remembering like, oh yeah, Mike Myers kind of sucks to work with. Makes me even more frustrated that as a kid, I was all about Wayne. Because... I just think Dana's really putting in the work here. Dana put in the work. Yeah. Let me let me let me ask you both two quick questions here. One, how old? If especially if you don't know, guess how old both Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. How old were they when they filmed Wayne's World? I'm going when it was in twenty five to thirty era. Okay, and Liam? I'm going to say Mike Myers is probably closer to twenty five than thirty, but he might be okay. thirty. I think. Dana might be 35. Okay, so Dana Carvey was 35 in 19... So it's 92. Dana Carvey was born in 55, so Dana Carvey was 37 on the release. Mike Myers is eight years younger. 
So he was like 27, 28. That's what I thought. That's older than I thought for both of them because they both look so young. It's true. They don't look old. They look so young. So, So bless them. Part two of this, Mike Myers after Wayne's World, obviously do Wayne's World 2, Goes to do the Austin Power franchise and then does you know gets into the Shrek franchise franchise. So he's printing money. What does Dana Carvey do after Wayne's World? Almost nothing. I mean, he yeah. has a show right that lasted one right. season. That bombs, and yeah. that's it. And Which that's- is that show's fucking hilarious. If you guys can ever get a chance to watch it, it's really goddamn funny. If you go through his material, he has a couple like bit parts in other movies. But I had. <laughs> Shout out to my buddy Andy, who who does a lot of herpetology and snake research. I was sure. in the woods with him walking and just kind of doing a thing, and we were talking about Dana Carvey just because we were like, yo, he's so funny. And and like his stand-up specials are really funny, and we we're going yeah. through this, and it's like, yo, how did he not blow up off Wayne's World? Like, he didn't. It seemed like he was going to, and he just didn't. Our, our long, this is This is how you know you have a good friend. Our long winding conversation through the woods ended up on the fact that maybe his style of comedy, he got outshined by the likes of Jim Carrey. Yeah, oh. and I don't think I'm not saying it's fair, but I'm saying I think that Jim Carrey basically stepped in and grabbed all the slots that maybe Dana Carvey could have gotten. Yeah, you know. All right. Yeah. I think that's so, possible. And it's just, you know, like Mike Myers kind of falls into the Austin Powers thing, and that's huge. And then Shrek thing clearly is huge. And, you know, like that dude doesn't have to do anything. Um, you know, that's interesting to hear about him not being a cool guy on set. I, I, right? It, it makes me like Wayne the character less because the when the Wayne and Garth fallout scene, I said that that part was great because it feels real in that weird way. When If you have someone who's the dominant friend and the more passive friend, you know, they, they probably love each other. And there's dynamics in those relationships that work. But also, seeing that explode at some point, it happens because it's bound to. Mm-hmm. At some point, the dominant friend oversteps. At some point, the more chill friend steps up and goes, hey, chill out, you know? And so I, I, I really liked that. And I had forgotten about that part of the movie till, I, till this rewatch. I was like, yo, I love this part. I think it's also worth mentioning something that Josh did, and I meant to open with it, which is, you know, uh, Bob hosts the premier uh, hardcore punk podcast uh, in the world. We uh, talk about hardcore a lot on this show uh, as a movie show. We're really we're really crossing the streams here because this movie was directed by Penelope Spheres, who famously directed uh, The Decline of Western Civilization, as as well as a bunch of other movies people should watch, including Suburbia and fucking Dudes and. Uh, uh, Hollywood Vice Squad, which is like I think a very underrated exploitation film featuring uh, Princess Leia, and so um, yeah, Penelope Spheres, underrated director as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, she's out. also she has a cameo in the movie. Did you guys know that? I, I heard not. that, but I didn't pick it out. Like I knew it, but in I didn't the, see it. So the sequence with the when they interview the Noah's Arcade dude, and he has all the things written on the back of the card. Right. Oh yeah. She is the lady sitting next to Rob Lowe in the production booth. Oh, oh. so interesting. Now, do you know who yeah. the guy from Noah's Arcade is? Uh, he's like low key. I, I mean, I th- we've seen him. A I lot. think it's yeah. So I believe his name is Phil Murray. He is 
Bill, Bill Murray's, Murray's brother. brother. Yeah. Yeah, Phil Murray. Oh, He's man. also in Groundhog's Day, a bunch of other movies. But uh, So that was one other low-key thing that I took away from this recent rewatch was that um, I said, wow, Mike Myers, Saturday Night Live guy, okay, but he seems more influenced by some of the, the first-gen, like, Second City guys than I thought. I was like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. he was part of Second City Toronto, actually. Right. And so that whole Midwestern kind of comedic scene rears it head. I think this is part of the, the canon of that. If uh, And mm-hmm. you start to see it, and you see the characters, and it's like, oh, there's the Chris Farley cameo. Okay, cool, you know, so. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, I, the, I the Dream part. Girl, the Dream Girl mm-hmm. in the Donut Shop is Dan Aykroyd's wife. I didn't know that until I, I watched it this time. And uh, really? Meatloaf. I forgot that Meatloaf is the guy who uh, lets him into the gas works at the, at the top of the movie. But he's yes. like, uh, the Jolly Green Giants and the shitty Beatles. Like, that guy, that's Meatloaf. <laughs> I love Meatloaf. I, I, so so I remember, well, first of all, I don't love him now because he's a Trump weirdo. But um, I, I loved him. him. Oh yeah. yeah, you should actually find the Did clip of him singing at a Trump event, and he he can't even get the words out, let alone hit the notes. It's it's <sighs> true Schadenfreude joy. Anyways, um, <laughs> I did know that that was him though, because remember in the early '90s, Meatloaf had that comeback with all those songs that like ah, were, were yeah. you know he had like I the new bet, yeah bet he was in all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, he, he was in them. all the videos and stuff. So I recognized them immediately. Like that's the guy, that's Meatloaf, because he because he had so many videos going on at the time. Uh, so they, they they also they nailed all the cameos the cameos like little little appearances so good and I feel like that was taken on to another step from Wayne's World yeah. too because yeah. Uh, yeah, additionally because it just like all of a sudden it was like oh this is a thing you do you just sneak in all these mm-hmm. you know little little nods and winks at everyone I mean I like Alice Cooper in this movie more than I like any recorded material by Alice Cooper <laughs> Yo, he yeah. has one really really good record that I, I'll stand by so. okay okay. Uh, we'll, I we'll tried, talk about that sometime I tried to sit through one of his movies at a, uh, yeah, at, a same. at a hard Exhumed. at an exhumed films event in Philly they showed a 35 millimeter of uh, of one My, of his movies he tried to suppress because there's a there's a weird rape sequence in it um yeah. But uh, but uh, I I couldn't uh, one song in I was like no nah, I'm fucking done see you later Alice like yeah just we call that movie dinner break time so we were out we <laughs> yeah. were like nope gonna get some <laughs> that was time for right Dan now. Dan noodles yeah 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 not a thing not yeah, a thing but yeah what about Tia Carrera in this movie uh, dude had the biggest crush on her biggest crush maybe wonderful. like wonderful yeah, yeah. and and funny and fun and kind of rolls with it and ends up being this cool foil like you you forget to rem- like you forget when you don't think about this movie how much of it literally revolves around her you yep. know mm-hmm. Josh, yeah. Josh and she's playing P bases in this whole movie oh yeah Into it? Yes. Josh is she Filipino is that correct uh, I just saw that she was Hawaiian I don't know what her I, I know that she's not Cantonese like she's not um, whatever she wasn't what she was, was saying in the movie but I know yeah, that she's from Hawaii Okay, so. I think she might be part Filipino. She might be part Chinese too, but yeah, yeah, I know that she's from Hawaii originally. But I, I thought I read somewhere that she was part Filipino, and I was like, oh, I wonder if she's on Josh's Philip, Fili- you know, fellow <laughs> Filipinos list, you know. With man, you know. maybe I should get really stoned and tweet at her sometimes. See what yeah. happens. <laughs> I don't know. I, there's so much more to talk about with Lou Diamond Phillips. I feel like once we get past Wade's world, I don't know what to talk to her about. So okay, according to her wiki, she is of Spanish, Filipino, and Chinese ancestry. So that's okay, good. okay, nice, nice mix. Um, there you go. Is Schwing a problem? Is Schwing oh. a problem? 
Oh, do you remember people saying that? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, yes. 100%. Just like the Austin Powers thing, that got annoying real oh, quick. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, man, I mean, like, I don't know. It wasn't really funny to me at the beginning. Did you guys no. find it funny when you saw it the first time? No, it was B-sharp. First time you go, uh, and then every time after, it just gets more and more uncomfortable. Like, yeah. all right. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I mean, I, I think the issue is it's part... It's not the worst example, but it's part of a whole tradition of what men do is discuss women's bodies, right? So, right. you know, that they're doing it in a silly way. When I got a little bit older, people would 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 say would would say would. So like you would just mm. be talking and an actress would come up and some oh, dude would, would go yeah. would Right. And it's like, oh, are they saying W O U L D, or are they saying W O O D, referring to their boner? <laughs> and it's whatever the term is. It's not the term itself. It's this idea that like you know you're heterosexual because when the name of a woman comes up, you must let everyone know your feelings on them sexually because that's how people right. know that you're straight. And at the time. I was one of many people who that all felt so fucking normal. And it's, that's what was so weird watching this now is like a lot of it is a little bit male focused. There might be, mm-hmm. you know, there's a light patina of chauvinism throughout tons no, of male gazing. Like yeah, even but, the dream yeah. girl scene that, you know, yeah. Everything. But for the most part, none of it's to the point where it feels like gross. And swing is just one of those no. things that like in and of itself is just goofy, but also, the way that it's deployed is a reminder of like, oh, right, this is how I and many other boys were taught to be men, is to be like, mm. oh, that woman? I would engage her in sexual congress. Yeah, right. And it's like, at some level, when I got older, I was like, yeah, you, what, that's not, why is that relevant? If, why are we talking about this? Like, I don't understand why mm. this is a point of discussion. Like, but that's, you know, that was just the world that it was in. I, I don't want to downplay it too much, but it's certainly a less toxic example of that sort of thing than it could be. But it was never funny, right? Like I don't, yeah, I don't know why it was supposed to be funny. Funny. No, it was never funny. It was always it was just uncomfortable. And there's, there's, I mean, you you cited verbal examples and like linguistic examples that were less less uncomfortable. Like, and and you see them in this movie, and you actually see it in House Party as well, where mm. these kind of verbal like oh, like you said men discussing women's bodies, men discussing women in a objectifying manner uh, sexually. And it's the additional physical comedy that both at the same time is supposed to like disarm the comment, but in practice, then, and maybe more so now, it's like, eh, nah, it doesn't yeah. land. You know, there's yeah, many yeah. silly jokes that land really hard. That one just, meh, doesn't, doesn't hit. Well, and I think part of the issue we always face is that the line between depiction and endorsement can be thinner than we want it to be, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, maybe in a movie like House Party, it's like, well, this is how teenage boys actually talk. And it's like, yeah, it is. And and, I, and I'm glad that you are willing to show that. On the other hand, to what extent did teenage boys learn how to talk this way from these media examples? Because they were shown yes. that that's what to do, and that's—I'm not saying there's an easy answer to that. I don't want to moralize on that too hard, but there is a part of me that goes, uh, "I think if I don't need, <laughs> if I don't need to depict something, I might not depict it." Because it's like, yeah, I know boys can be this way, but you so rarely see boys not being this way that maybe a fun depiction example would be not doing that. You know, like right. yeah. that would be <laughs> some new ground to cover for all of us. <laughs> The funny thing about Wayne's World for me is that, like, you know, 
the, both of these movies came out when I was in high school. I'm 43 sure. now. Yeah. And um, you are, you either fell in one camp or the other in Cherry Hill, mm. New Jersey, right? Like you either like like house party and that was your thing or you're the Wayne's World guy and that was your thing. House party, I was never that cool. Like never had cool clothes, never wore a cool suit that was both yellow and blue. Um, like <laughs> didn't have friends that danced at a party. Like that just seemed like entirely like like looking at Mars. Like, wait, what? That's what people do. And then Wayne's World, like I didn't even know who Queen was. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. by the time yeah, Wayne's yeah. World was a thing, while while by the time that that started happening in my high school, I was already careening off of this Manchester, Stone Roses, The Laws, like yeah. uh, bands like Black Grape. Like I was already yeah. neck deep in Enemy and in my Morrissey obsession and the Smiths and all that stuff. So like this like hyper masculine, head banging, long hair with ripped pants. Like, it's like yeah. what the fuck do these white people know that I don't know? You know what I mean? Like it was always like that. Like so like of these two movies, I never really felt like either one was the one that I'm like, hmm, that's the experience. That's what I, yeah. you know, that's my high right. school right there. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's funny to watch it now and be like, yeah, man, that, I mean, even with the advent of grunge, with mm-hmm. the dropping of the Nirvana bomb, it still just felt like, so like to me at the time who was obsessed with Depeche Mode and I was obsessed with New Order, like all that stuff, like this just was not beautiful to me yeah you know what i mean like it didn't it didn't speak to any deeper truth or beauty to me in terms of the music in the movie and the subsequent aesthetic of the whole movie you know what i mean like i just saw it as the same way i saw house party like man white people in the suburbs are crazy yo yeah (laughs) yeah like i loved it but i never thought i was wayne or garth i never felt like that was my world no, even I playing hockey play. like these guys played hockey. Yeah, you know how much money it costs to get all that shit to play hockey? So <laughs> yeah, that was money. full on. That's the hey, we're Canadians and like yeah, we're gonna dress up like mm. we're from Chicago. I was like, mm, I don't know, guys. That that feels a lot more <laughs> like a Toronto thing here. Um, I, I think exactly the thing you said, and it it's it circles back to to one of the things I said earlier. These movies both felt ever present, but neither was my world. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, musically, Kid and Play had they were kind of they 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 interwove the the hip hop stuff into the movie that felt more like okay, cool, like it was of a different time than the the hip hop and rap stuff that I got into a couple years later. But I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that doesn't feel inauthentic. What you said, Liam, about Wayne's World, I think musically. They couldn't really decide what they were. They didn't they had this weird vague idea of like a rock guy who yeah. was listless and lost and didn't have anything totally to hold on to right in that moment. And we get more of that in Wayne's World too, where it's like we put on a festival and it's like a festival with all these weird bands? That's weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's like we're you look at their the 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 production, the crew, their their friends. Maybe you go, okay, they look a little bit more like one of them could be in a Metallica or Slayer, and one of them is more of a, a, a Guns N' Roses type dude. But Wayne and Garth themselves were like, I don't know, they, they struck me as Aerosmith fans. You know, right, like, they're right. like, okay, yeah. you're a rock guy, you're not so much a metal guy. Because then even this, the, you can't lend authenticity to when they go to the bar to see Crucial Taunt, Cassandra's band play for the first time. It's like, yeah, we're at this heavy metal bar. And I'm like, this looks like a nightclub 
and yeah. no heavy metal show I've ever seen would would have a show where it's like, hey, they might be serving martinis here as well, you know. <laughs> um, so so there was like, there's definitely a lack of authenticity on the music side of Wayne's World. Mm. While it stays connected, and I said, yo, this is the reason I knew what Bohemian Rhapsody was because I don't think nineteen ninety two ten year olds were getting exposed to it really another way, and that that experience, I have to say. Josh, if you were already into cooler music, there's a good chance you would look at Wayne's World and go, "All right, cool. This is the lame music for the the guy who listens right. to top forty rock radio." You know? Yeah, it was definitely like these are the guys that like pushing me around and like pulling my hat down over my glasses and stuff. Like, oh, I fucking hate these guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's worth noting that these they're meant to be older in the movie, right? Like these are dudes who didn't go to college, but maybe right. are around that age. You know what I mean? Uh, mm. it, it, and that's sort of evidenced by the fact that they're like, w- Wayne, why do you still live in your parents' basement? You know what I mean? Like that, mm. that they're yeah. supposed to have started their adult lives. And yet, even at that age, they feel from another time, especially like if they were into metal by those early nineties, like there was underground metal happening. Like death metal 100%. was an established thing at that point. The fact that they're like more stoked on seeing Alice Cooper than they would be on seeing cannibal corpse or morbid angel <laughs> is like just evidence of the fact that this movie was made by older people, you know, and it was made by mm-hmm. yeah. again, a director I love. I think she's great, but it's clear she's holding over some of the stuff from, you know, decline to the, the metal. Yes. <laughs> and yet Parking lot. by the time she's making this movie, the scene she documented in that documentary, I don't think exists anymore, actually. Like, I don't no. think it's a thing. And yeah. so, uh, that, that, and yet, even though I think any modern, like anyone who was contemporary to the movie, an adult, probably knew that this was not like very current in some ways, it still resonated. People fucking love this shit. Yeah. And, and, and so, true. something about it really rang for folks as an audience. And, and it all was this a cultural said, moment. Yes. And all this said, it's, it was, there's an element of comedy and parody to it. Too. Right, exactly. So it's yeah. like, okay, is this the the rock and roll guy who got passed by? Uh, yeah. This is dudes making a public access TV show in suburban Chicago who live with their parents. So yes, the world has passed them by. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really like the way we looked at both these movies. Yeah. Uh, that House Party was kind of looking forward and it had a momentum going forward. And while Wayne's World was just as much as a cultural moment, it was kind of looking back and mm. felt like the world around it was moving by, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, we've been going for a while, so we should probably wrap up. I, I you know, I love these movies, so there's still more to say. But uh, I just got to say, Bob, thanks for this opportunity to dive into some nostalgia. It's something me and Josh maybe don't do as much as we should. Um, I think partly because we don't want the show to just be our nostalgia, which it easily could be, you know, like we could just cover Big Trouble in Little China and then cover, oh. you know, Beverly Hills Cop. Like that could be the show, but uh, but but we don't get a chance to do it as much and, and I'm glad we got the chance to do it. Um, we've, we've talked about them both, but in case anyone listening for some strange reason isn't familiar with your two podcasts, can you tell them a little bit about them and where they can find them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I do a podcast with uh, buddies Patrick and Tom called Axe to Grind. We are talk about hardcore music and punk music and metal music, uh, and uh, it's fun, and you should listen to it. We also talk about weird nonsense because we're a bunch of weird <laughs> dudes. Right. Um, 
that's can be found anywhere podcasts are found and kind of as mentioned at the top if somehow you just were like man this dude's boring let's skip through this shit i do a podcast (laughs) with a friend of mine pete called uh in search of tracks and again this one is a little bit more directly album focused whereas axe to grind we kind of look at the world of hardcore and punk music uh in search of tracks we touch on all different types of music just looking for the best songs we can find and basically do an episode an album per episode so uh check both of those out wherever podcasts were found and i want to say i love that you guys don't look backwards all the time i think there's a room for it i think there's room to to do and expose people to classics or low-rated good movies from the past but there's so much great stuff happening. Uh, we all need a little more Cinepunks in our life to keep our attention forward. So uh, kind of you to say, Bob. I really Thank appreciate that. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a real struggle because it, it feels like a lot of, I was going to say podcasts, but not even just podcasts. Film fandom seems to break into people who are stoked on new movies and go to film fests and really search out the latest things. And sure. people who are stoked on old old shit and they're finding out you know rare movies that people haven't heard of and whatever and me and josh like both of those things and don't understand why we should prefer one to the other no i don't i don't think so because it's it's there's no no reason to prefer one to the other the the thing is to enjoy something i think enjoy it deeply that's the way i get the most out of things but there's also people who consume and move to the next and consume move to the next and you know, there's an argument to be made that that's the way to do it too. So uh, I think a little bit of both in your life, and you'll feel pretty good. Awesome. Thanks, Bob, for coming on. Uh, hey, thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, download uh, everywhere you can. Check out our merch store. We got a bunch of cool shirts up there. Um, and head over to cinepunks.com. Check out some of the other shows on the network. We got Horror Business, The Evil Eye, um, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. Uh, we got some new shows coming on soon as well. So, you know, just support the family of podcasts. Also, uh, uh, my other show, Cinema Smorgasbord, we just did their our second episode uh, under that heading of our new uh, Jodorowsky focused podcast called Jodowowski. And uh, so good. It, we put a lot of work into those even more than we do the other episodes of cinema smorgasbord. So I just recommend checking it out and you know, Pat and Oswald tweeted about us. So that makes us cool. So check out that show. <laughs> um, Josh, what else can people do to, to support and check out stuff we're doing? I don't know. Again, use all the, the code for Essex coffee roasters to yes. get your 10% off. Tell them that we can, we, we sent you guys, uh, when you do your screen printing for your new podcaster band, tell the LVAC people that we sent you and they'll probably give you a couple funny looks and uh, that'll be worth it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, man, keep it moving y'all. We're doing the thing. We Holler. are doing the thing. Yes. Very good. All right. Episode 130. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.